One realizes very quickly we've been seeing this technology for decades. I had access to, to all those programs. surfaces, no obvious signs of propulsion, and yet this object is witnessed now by four separate individuals in two separate aircraft. What is up, everybody? Welcome back. Welcome back to the Disclosure Team show, the podcast, the YouTube channel, whatever you want to call it. I'm so happy to be here. I have been indulging in the Christmas festivities with my family this week. This is my final interview before Christmas Day. So um, it couldn't be any better. I'm going to be here with one of my my good friends, Mr. Ashley Cowie. We're going to be discussing phenomenology, kind of touching upon a little bit of what we did earlier in the year for season one, but really going to, we're going to be digging into season two and what we're going to be looking into come april 2023 the trip is booked it's going to be super exciting it's going to be another adventure and yeah so i think i've got everything ready i'm having a drink it is christmas after all um happy christmas to everybody here in the live chat it's so good to see you guys and yeah as always for anybody here just keep the the chat cool calm and collected and be respectful of any differences of opinion and all that good stuff. So, yeah, I think that's pretty much it. Um, like I said, this is going to be a really awesome conversation. We've got a, a few things to announce, and I hope you guys enjoy it. Um, your questions, as always, please pop them in capital letters. Um, I will see them better that way. But let's not waste any more time. Um, welcome back to the show, The Boss. <laughs> The boss, the big man, Mr. Phenomenology himself, my good friend and colleague, Ashley Cowie. There he is. My goodness, how long did that take? That <laughs> was painful, Vinny. No, good on you. It's very different from last year, isn't it? Before we kind of knew what to expect before season one and the first time of me being out there. But uh, here we are, a year on. Can you believe it? It's almost a year to the day that we kind of did the first interview and we were preparing for me and dan and the rest of the team to all fly out and meet in columbia so wow it's been a crazy ride hasn't it how do you feel man having come from the imagination for you know being here for four or five years and hearing all about these anomalous lights associated with this hill la pena de Waika, and then bringing it into some sort of visual format that everybody can enjoy is it's satisfying to say the least and to think now that we've got season two coming you know that's just righteous yeah absolutely man i mean it was one of the best experiences of my life absolutely the and i should say there you know three for the three years prior to us filming last year we had taken people here and filmed sort of archaeological and exploratory documentaries 
private and online and we had um, discovery down here with Josh Gates for Expedition Unknown filming some of the indigenous tales here, the mythology. But to create this, or not to create, but to be involved with you guys and, and doing what's essentially a, a tour of Colombia, but filming it and having a purpose and a point is just, it's so satisfying on so many levels. Because I'm a bit, you know, you get homesick. I miss the voices, the accents, the dialects, the crack in the UK. Absolutely. So there's a long form answer to your question. You asked me if it was a crazy ride, but that's a bit, you know, the truth is it's really, really life changing because there are so many new people in our lives here now coming here. It's great. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. So I want to guess, I guess, I guess before we get into kind of going past season one, um, are you content are you happy with the way season one went and the way that it was re received and and i'll caveat that by saying for anybody watching or listening this was never about being a money-making scheme this came out of hours hours days weeks and months of ashley's time and everybody else's time to put out something that we felt was on a level with other ufo documentaries and things like that and maybe even elevating it above that we didn't want to go down that road of the format that that we see all the time so give me your perspective on that kind of uh, side of things ash um right putting my opinion as to what the reception was like to the side let's talk about the timing um episode one of phenomenology landed about was it in july this year when there was effectively a UFO community meltdown, right? It was called the, the Great Schism of 22. <laughs> and and, and I remember it was the two, it was the final episode where we released the lights that we filmed on the top of the mountain, whether it what they are, let's leave out of this just now. However, we launched that episode, and two days later, you guys, UAP Media UK announced the Calvine photo. So phenomenology kind of got lost in a, what you call a UAP gulf. But you've got to remember, as I said when I was on that UFO podcast, phenomenology is much more than just a UFO documentary. We don't talk about UFOs very much. We're looking for a 400-year-old anomalous light phenomenon that's been reported in the mountain for at least 400 years. Today, while that light phenomenon is reported as UFOs, we're not out there looking for things like UFOs as such, we're looking for answers from both the indigenous cultures here, the, the Spanish incomers, their mythologies and um, interpretations of the lights, right the way up to the last 60 years where they've been talked of as UFOs and now UAP. So it's, it's much broader than a UFO show. So it was received in all sorts of different portals really, really well. And um, there's people for the most the most amount of the audience came from the USA. Sixty percent of the audience came from the USA for season one. It, bizarrely, like fifteen percent came from Norway and Sweden. So I can only imagine that's because it more so aligns with the likes of the Histalin Valley phenomenon than Area Fifty One or Roswell, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, so it was, it's been received great in the, the best terms. What it's done is it cleared costs because, as you know, we're doing all this on a shoestring, which we'll be talking about at the end of the presentation, how much this all costs. Sure. And and to have some money coming back from the sales and Vimeo and getting support, it's just great, you know, to actually have a sale and then to have 10 and then to have 100 and more. It's 
you know, it's really difficult to do that. There's a lot of competition, a lot of junk out there selling really cheap. And we're asking $19.99 for what's essentially now eight episodes. You know, it works out like $1.99 an episode for a half hour about on average of media. But, you know, we don't have a big marketing budget. This is a grassroots documentary. It's funded by the people that come here. And as they say, they get their 10-day thing in Colombia. They get to see the back end of the country that they won't get to see on the tour bus. And it's half the cost. And it's just great because you know what it's like. There's a bunch of cool stairs and we all just hang about doing stupid shit. And it's great, isn't it? It's not like us. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I, pro I, I struggle to put words into how incredible it was because it was... You know, it's like you said, you know, it's half the cost of what you would pay to go out to Colombia for that period of time if you were as, as a tourist. Seeing that, you know, if you were to book a, a backcountry Colombia tour, all expenses, you'd be paying $5,000 plus. Hmm. And we got to see the real Colombia. But you'd, you'd pay five grand for where we stayed. That oh, absolutely. I mean, we were so lucky with the accommodation. We lived in a mansion, for God's sake. And yes, it was old, but that was part of the culture and part of the the area. We, you know, we were in rural Colombia. And uh, yeah, well, I mean, they, I, well, yeah. what that was, Vinny, was a 130-year-old post-colonial, traditionally built bamboo um, finca, a farm, a Spanish farm, or not actually Spanish. It was only built 130 years ago. So I'm saying it's it's in the colonial style. Now that room, we had like six and seven bedrooms, six or seven bedrooms, and they were huge. And we had three or four living areas. And because you know we, we want to be focusing on filming and having fun, we have people cooking, doing all the cleaning, doing all the organizing. But you said it, you have to be prepared for being absolutely buggered at the end of the day and having no shower or a cold shower. But the soup will be great, right? Yeah. It's it, it's got extremes. We do live nine thousand feet on the top of a mountain, right? A very cold one. The Andes. It's in constant motion. So the services, the plumbing, the electricity, the gas. It's out every second week. On average, we'd lose internet probably two or three times a week. Everything's in motion with dread, what, what, wet seasons and dry seasons. You know the terrain can swell ten meters of a difference in the course of two or three months. We're going to come back to that. I think that's quite important, what I was just talking about there. Absolutely, man. And I suppose, listen, let, for anybody that may be hearing this for the first time, whether it be here on YouTube or on the Anomalous Podcast Network audio only, could you give us like a two or three minute breakdown of what the phenomena in the area of uh, Tenho and Tabio that, that, we ex that we investigated, just give us that small kind of soundbite yeah. of what it is, if you don't mind. Of course. So I've, I've got to start this safe with the term local traditions maintain. It's like the start of an episode of Ancient Aliens, right? But local traditions maintain, and this is thorough. And one can Google this as I'm talking about it, the terms and the places. In 1606 or 1608, the first bishop of the village of Tabio baptized the hill La Peña de Huayca as El Cerro de las Luces Danzantes, the hill of dancing lights. Prior to the Spanish arriving, the Moiscas, the indigenous culture of the um, Cundinamarca um, area of Colombia, they called the hill La Puerta de los Dioses, the door of the gods. And the reason it was called the hill of dancing lights and prior to that the door of the gods is because 
people have reported seeing light phenomenon in the air surrounding the top of the mountain and also on the hill line between Tabio and the hilltop. Tabio, of course, being built around geothermal pozos, they call them, or wells. I mean, there's a, the zipa or the rulers, thermal baths are in Tabio. So there's a mountain here, which for the last, at least the last four or 800 years has been associated with dancing lights. So as far as the actual phenomenon is concerned, the oldest known record of it, they were called Las Ranchitas Luminados, which is the glowing houses, because they're reported in the shape of a hut, the glowing huts. They, they, they've been called the Mohan and the Mohana, representing male and female energies or mythological spirits, a sort of intermediate stage between the Moisca's death and its return as an animal form, the Mohan. The pink lights of the Mohana, the blue lights are called the Mohan. So in a nutshell, the phenomenon, uh, sort of, there is no such thing as the phenomenon. It is these phenomena are, uh, represent, you know, a different, a bunch of different kind of light or plasma um, eyewitness accounts ranging from classic oval-shaped golden balls to sprite-like blue and pink lights that interact in the air, swirl around each other, and then disappear into the mountain. That's quite a big tradition here. Um, and of course, all of these light phenomenon and the areas on the mountain associated where, where the Mohan and the Mohana unite are also associated with guacas. Now, guacas are indigenous burials where the Zipas and the Kazakis of the indigenous cultures were buried with their gold, silver, and copper. Now, there are guaqueros who look for these graves and they claim to follow the lights and where they see the lights they can tell if it's blue it's copper if it's a yellow orangey light it's gold and if it's more of a white greeny light it's going to be silver and you know these guaqueros ship hundreds of tons of artifacts a year from colombia to the, the illegal black market around the world. Now, what's cool? Let's go skeptic for a second here. The skeptic would say it's a load of balls, right? These guys, these guaqueros are not seeing lights. What they do is they have an intrinsic inherited knowledge of the, the farms and of the tierra, the soil. So when they scan along a farm at night with their torches, they can see dark and lighter soils and they know where it's been turned, therefore where someone might have been buried. And what they do is they maintain this tradition of, oh, we follow the lights keeps the check coming, right? It's a really, um, it's a thing. So do the guaqueros follow lights or not? And this mountain is associated with guaqueros who go up there and they use explosives and they look for indigenous burials. So the phenomenon or the phenomena of the Colombia um, of La Peña de Huayca since the arrival of the Spaniards has been interpreted as the souls of saints. Local traditions say the blue represents St. Thomas, Red represents Saint um, the Maria. And the, so there's a rich and thorough set of traditions. When I arrived here seven years ago, I was reading all this, hearing all this, and thinking to myself, what an amazing story to tell. Because what's safe about it is I'm not saying I see the things flying around in the sky, but Everybody around me is, and you know what happens to anyone you say to, suggest to someone it's climatological or meteorological, and it's not a spirit. They look at you oddly, and they look around and quite, feel quite sorry for us for not being able to see, right? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, since coming back, well, from witnessing what I witnessed in season one mm. to now, I've obviously done numerous podcasts and spoken to numerous people about what I saw. And, you know, when I came out there, I was the UFO guy, let's say. And you were, yep. you, you said yourself that you were quite surprised at how skeptical I was and mm -hmm. how cautious I was about judging everything that I saw. And, Mm -hmm. let's just say recently in the last few days i i was misinterpreted in a way that i believe that the entire phenomena the ufo phenomena is prosaic based on things that appear in these mountains and i think you know just because i talk about my investigations in, in, into what we did in colombia that i think there is a possible prosaic explanation to a, a, a still very rare phenomena maybe an earth light phenomena that you know i could easily be misinterpreted to think that this is what i believe can you know on the whole big picture of ufos and i'll state right now that um that's not the case you know obviously the phenomena the phenomenon and all the things in between are very different no matter where you go so um i'm, we're not, I'm not done with that can, can i ask you about that please yeah please do right. man right so what then to you is the phenomenon in, or the phenomena of the Tabio Tenho Valley? You tell me what you think it might be, having explored it. Well, I think going into the investigations and spending the two weeks the way we did, interviewing so many local indigenous folk, talking about UFOs, talking about uh, spirits and souls of the Moiska tribe who had committed suicide, and this was them entering another realm or whatever it was you know you know i took all of those different things on board but tried to keep a rational mind at the same time and after witnessing what i did and then since i left colombia back in you know the end of february of 2022 and here we are almost a year later doing so much research into similar like phenomena i my direction i'm not going to say my belief because i don't like the word belief but my direction is more on that this could probably represent a strange um earth light made up of the magnetic makeup of the the two peaks that form some kind of high intensity energy plasma that is very little little is un, little is known about it that it, it could be really big for science forget ufos and everything no matter what this if this turned out to be prosaic it's still a huge discovery okay so so no i think that's great so then my next question must be why would you have to feel you like you have to justify yourself for offering prosaic explanations to ufo do you know what's happened here let's be clear i think in my opinion oh in my opinion <laughs> oh, t 10 years ago it was a marginal fraction of society that would actually open publicly admit they believed in ufos or visitors from another planet because there's been such a swell in the media and in pop culture in the last five or eight years, especially since 217, 219, there's a tendency for people to openly confess to believing in such things. However, I don't think there should, the person who demands prosaic or wants to wait on the safe side until that smoking gun of evidence appears is anything but a rationalist. And I think it's required. One shouldn't have to justify skepticism, especially just now when there's such a tilt towards believe because let me just say this oh my goodness imagine we're not going to open this kind of worms but how many people wish they'd taken a skeptical side to some of the 
nonsense that were that is being unveiled in videos of people appearing in court and stuff from indictments from the UFO community. I think there's never been a more important time for people to be skeptical and to look down and inwards towards these mountains, as you say, as possibly the keepers of, I hate to use the word bizarre climatology because that just sounds, oh yeah, they're going from spirits, ghosts and ghouls and UFOs to bizarre climatology. However, let's, I, I like to do this because I think it makes, I think it, it takes the whole thing down to earth and leaves a big space for things we don't know. Yep. Right. Let's say Project Blue Book and its conclusion was correct, right? And it's swamp <laughs> gas. Let's just assume for a moment it's a lot of it's swamp gas, right? So the Bogota savanna that we're on right here was a swamp for at least 30,000 years since Lake Humboldt receded and the Spaniards arrived. So, wow, we might have an, a chance of photographing swamp gas or filming swamp gas phenomenon. Wouldn't that be incredible since it's not been done before? Now, the other thing that I think is wonderful here is our, the, so Hestalen Valley in Norway, there was a hypothesis submitted about 2014 called the battery hypothesis, where yep. one mount, two, imagine two mountain ranges with the valley in the middle. One is zinc, one is iron, one is negative, one is positive. So the claim that was postulated was. It, under certain climatologic, climatological conditions, generally dry when the irons, ions are warmer in the air and have a tendency to show as light, that there is some kind of conflict or a, some kind of plasma formation appears between these two mountains. However, the skeptical argument is a, a scientist called Bruin, who 216 said, this would all add up. But what you don't have is a catalyst in the middle. You would need a river, and that river would need to have the potential to charge ions in the air, warm ions. So it got thrown out. Guess what, Vinny? The thermals in Tabio are sulfur pools, and we have the El Chiku sulfur river running down the valley between El Mohoy and Waika. We have that missing geological component that would validate the Histalin Valley being a battery so what if this is a version of one of these geological batteries as such, where perhaps what would normally be interpreted as lightning manifests in a different kind of way, perhaps low in the atmosphere or even really high in the atmosphere, or perhaps it's some form of pressure caused electricity, you know, when there's the change of the seasons. We're going to have to talk, start the what we're doing here because I think the change of the seasons is key to, to, to a lot of this. Um, and, and what happens is uh, twice in the year, it changes from extremely dry to extremely wet. And in the course of 10 or 15 days, all of the underground, we're in the Andes, so all of the underground rivers and chambers and um, ravines within mountains, they all fill up with yeah. water. water creating an intense pressure in the environment. Now, 90 miles west, we have the River Magdalena, the largest in Colombia, and it runs over a quartzine riverbed. And it's been postulated that perhaps highly charged magnetic clouds in the west are getting blown over and colliding with this change of season here, 90 kilometers to the east. You know, the, the climate can change in 15 miles here, depending on altitude. So we've, 
this this happens twice a year. So if my if this idea is right that the change of the seasons, the change in the climatolog climatological circumstances causes the light phenomenon, I, I should be able to make predictions, and that's exactly what we did last year and what we're doing this year because all of the traditional mythology says that the the light phenomenon appears on Holy Week, especially yeah. on Holy Friday. You know, we're, we're now backing into what we're filming. Yeah, but, but, but let me just cut, cut, in, cut you into there. Before we go into that, because that'll then bring us into what we're doing for season two. Uh -huh. Let's stick with season one and, and kind of... Mm -hmm. I think the good thing for anybody that's interested that hasn't seen season one is to, instead of hearing it from you now, is to go and watch it. Go and oh, watch yeah. it. And we'll get into you know other things in a second but what i'd quite like to do and if it's okay with you is just play a minute or two clip from season one not episode one so actually give a little bit of exclusive footage that if you purchase the season this is the kind of what you might see so am i right just playing a couple of minutes just to kind of give them a little uh let me ask you which media source are you playing this on live i'm playing this through vimeo and it's the, the today is it the, on vimeo live as we're looking or did you download this, is, this no this is my this is my copy of the full season this is a little couple of minute clip from episode seven the final episode and which when did you download this well i've had this haven't i since oh so it's a terrible early version I'd no, rather, well, I'd rather I've just, logged, I've just logged into Vimeo. Oh, good, great, play away. So, play away on yeah. Vimeo. Let me shut up. I'm paranoid because if I tell you to go and play it and it's on one of the platforms <laughs> where you shouldn't be playing it, I would be like, oh dear. But this is the latest, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll discuss afterwards what what you meant by that. But um, I, and I've literally, if you've just seen for a minute ago, I was listening to what you were saying, but I was just plugging away here because I wanted to, and I've clicked in a kind of random spot. To give people a little bit of a, I'm not I'm not lined up any specific wow moment, but this is like a little teaser of two minutes of the final episode, mm -hmm. which gives a little bit of um, oh, yeah. my yeah. In fact, let's just watch it. So let me just bring this up. Uh, here we go. You really do like to announce stuff, don't you? I just I have a way of doing things, man, and yeah, I feel like an old stick in the mud. But let's. Make sure, give me a thumbs up if you can hear this. What they are. Everything is light. And this is just one particular manifestation of it that we don't seem to understand. We've realized that there are different magnetic charges across the valley as well. So it could just be some kind of strong surge of energy or something that attracts this phenomenon. People talk about portals created by an intelligence. You have to keep all possibilities open until you have data that say no it's not that because we've worked that out look at this there it is oh, yeah, look at that. wow look at that wow look at that oh my oh god. my gosh and what do you think is that i have no idea <laughs> look at his gloom we need to find it there there yeah this is maybe the worst oh. where we go we can never record with maggots a focus magnification tool then which allows us to wow. see. Oh, there's two lights. No way. Look at that. Look at that. Two lights, guys. There we go. The evolution of the phenomenon from one. Look, it's coming up the side. Wow. What is that? Oh, Matt, are you closer? Oh, my oh. Lord, Benny. <laughs> We've just seen movement. What happened? What the fuck was that? Oh, that came out. Oh, oh. Just <laughs> <laughs> oh, right on the top. 
That's on the top of Wiker, that one. You can't have a small light coming out of a large light like that and call it a flashlight. How's that even possible? And you could say, ah, oh, it's two flashlights standing together and one guy's moving away from the other, but it circled the light. Hi, Wiker, 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 Wiker. There's look a light there. On, Micah, on the right hand side. Oh, on the top. Ooh, look, 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 look. Look. Just look on the mirror door again. I've got it on the camera. Wait, okay. Yeah, there's right. one right up. Look at that. <laughs> so, so what? So, like, nobody knows if they haven't seen it and they've got to get to episode seven to see that. But let me just boom this. We, everybody left two days after the filming trip was done officially. Everybody left. My house essentially, everyone was crashing here in the last night before the airport. Yeah, a few of them were finished, it was done. And then Walter left to Bogota at 2 p.m., Dan left at 6 30 p.m., and at 7 15, we were on our own. That just what's there, it was like one, then two, and then what appeared to be a triangle, then three or four in a wispy sort of shape, and then pulses of a red light. Is that it and what we saw kind of summarized? Yeah, and I think the most important thing that we need to reiterate to people is that for anybody watching on YouTube now or later, you can see behind me and us right now is, is a mountain, and that's the mountain that these lights appeared on. And it and right between me and Ash is a flat face yeah. that is like a, a, a few hundred foot flat face that is inaccessible to humans at all you cannot get to it and this is where the light was appearing and doing what it was doing and so you know it was huge the light i think we estimated that the diameter of the light was 20 to 30 feet and it was a, a huge luminous light doing all sorts of crazy stuff yeah and the, i think we should quickly say this though that the purpose for the beginning of season two on day one when everyone gets here we're up wiker the next night because we want to go up with a range of hikers head torches yeah, mag, yeah. mag lights we want to take lanterns and, and we will film us up there so we can then compare what people look like with lanterns and head torches compared to what um our film was that we got last year yeah absolutely this is the thing we've kind of We've done quite a lot of work already post-filming of season one, but what we need to do is show that work in the beginning mm -hmm. of season two. You know, it's all good saying that we've done it, but we need to show it to to the viewers and, and things like that. Yeah. Um, and also because the, the, the sceptical argument to this is um, that it is, it's a group of, say, let's say four or six people, even though we know the police don't let anybody up, it's closed. And if you were hiking, you certainly wouldn't use torches. There's all these anecdotal arguments. However, we're going to go and put four or six thermal trail cams up and around yeah. the top of the mountain on day one. So we can film over Holy Week, film over Holy Friday. But let's, we should probably, that's a great place back to this Holy Friday. It's a great place for us to maybe start talking yeah, about yeah. what we're doing. I'm in no hurry, by the way. I just keep coming back to Holy Friday and wishing I could talk more about that. Well, then, no, maybe is it is it a good time to sort of talk about why we wanted to continue the investigation? Because, that okay, I'm going to bring it back a little bit and start from here. The reason why you contacted me in the first place to even put together season one is because you were lucky enough to take a few photographs of this light phenomena, and you wanted to investigate it fully with a team, which we did. Mm -hmm. And 
we managed to film it. So where do we go from there? We need to want to we want to pinpoint what it is. Right. Okay. Let's so let's start there. So yeah, before you guys came for a year, I full uh, two twenty or two twenty one. I photographed nineteen because we have a house, you know, and it's right on the base of the mountain. It's right there in front of us. So I have a tripod, my five D four hundred mm lens, and every night I'm on the balcony, and every fifteen minutes or twenty minutes I check for five or ten minutes. And on 19 evenings in one year, I saw lights on the mountain and photographed them. I success, Some are blur, some are out of focus, some are exceptionally sharp, some are great, some are really mysterious, some are quite clearly hikers. Why? Because I know the path that goes up, that you know yourself. Exactly. That's there's important. There's one, there's one. And on either side of that path, there is nothing. You know, it's vertical, as you know. So... I can tell, I can turn to my wife and say, look, there's a light just down from the right of the summit. And then I can say to her, I think in between seven and 10 minutes, it's gonna appear and it's gonna be just beside the Montanita because that's where you turn from the top and face the valley and come down and boom, you can see hikers torches. But we, I've never ever seen what we saw for such a prolonged period in one place. And then also what we show is it appears to be moving in different parts of the Mirador. However, Vinny, I've got to get right on this. Like, I don't know. I'm not, I, I'm only saying I don't know because I'm trying to fit in with ufology. The truth is I don't think that, I, I, I don't think we can even start to conclude that we filmed the, the light phenomenon of the Tenho Tabio Tab Valley until we have what we're going to have in season two is a thermal drone with thermal cameras above that mountain the second the lights appear because as walter says is he this season he's betting his bottom dollar that we are going to see like a cop documentary where we're going to fly <laughs> over that mountain and there's going to be four yellow guys maybe with fireworks or whatever else however Vinny, here's the thing what what then is to be said for the accounts from the door of the gods 400 years ago well, earlier yeah and, and be... I, I know where you're going with that. And what I will say is that we know, like you said a couple of minutes ago about the, the pathways up the mountain, mm -hmm. that we have to take into account where you can physically go as a person on that mountain face. Mm -hmm. There are places on that, you know, even the what the path that we know or the pathways that we know or you mm -hmm. know, mm -hmm. they're treacherous enough as it is. Mm -hmm. So add into that the fact that the mountain is closed to the public. There is a, what, three or 400 foot flat face where the only way you could get on that flat face is to abseil, which even in the daytime would be pretty much yeah. unheard of. Imagine doing that in the nighttime. No way. And then the light source that we saw, that we filmed, even the light before it shone out would have been a, a diameter of... 20 feet you know so you're talking about someone up there with a light source no i must i've got to see this in back that's... i can't let you say that and know what i know and not tell you this so uh, we did an experiment in the garden just a about a month ago we woke up one morning and you couldn't nice. see a thing it was absolutely piece of fog so i had my head torch i have this these a hat with two little lights here like an electrician's hat 
And I, I said to Natty, put this on, and when you go out with Chia, turn around and face me. So she went to the gate about half a kilometre down the drive there. And she turned around and faced me, Ebony, so I filmed it. And I knew she had two little, like, Christmas tree lights on this hat. If I had filmed it, those would have looked about 30 feet in, in diameter, those two small lights. So what I'm proposing to you is, while they look to us to be 25 foot wide, as you say, that might happen because it's two, it's three kilometers. So in a misty night, that the light could, a light could be amplified to look bigger in the valley than it actually is. But again, what then of this whole, why <laughs> the, this whole thing that you saw every street sign, every corner shop, every wall has UFO arts, phenomenology artwork it has there's i mean last year 2021 maria alvarez report just came forward a 62 year old retired captain from the columbian air force she went to ltmp newspaper and said we were in my farmhouse in tenho at the bottom of penya de Wyken. her and her 13 farmhands lay in the grass and watched an oval shaped a light circling Waika for 21 minutes. And she described it as a tic-tac. Yeah, I know. She, well, no, let's be accurate. She called it un tobacco, a cigar. So, it, and yeah. we, which in, to all intents and purposes is the same design. However, they called it a tobacco, a cigar. And she said it stopped above her farmhouse. And for all of her 40 years in the Air Force, she'd never seen anything so beautiful because while it emitted a light, they didn't get lit. And she watched, they watched it shooting off or jetting off into outer space, as she said herself. And she said yeah. it was just a wonderful experience. And of course, the reporters were all asking her, you've just taken your entire respected military career as a captain in the Air Force and essentially put it up for questioning. And she said she couldn't live with herself for, for having seen such a spectacular event around Waikat. So skeptics are all over the thing with this, and there's a TV show here once every month called Mass Ajar. And they report stuff. They go into all the local phenomenon and the witness eyewitness accounts from all over Colombia. It's like a an unexplained, a really popular online show. But the skeptics in there maintain again that this is some kind of climatological phenomenon. But what's really cool about Vinny is this. If the skeptics are right, it's still absolutely brilliant that phenomenology is going to get there first. Hopefully, if it's if it's climatology, right? Let's find that out. Let's see what's yeah, going yeah. on. If it is, um, see, it could be the passing of mythology. It could be the archetypes of mythology sprouting up because you know the door of the gods, the highest part of the valley, which is closest to the sky. It starts as the door of the gods. So if there's a climatological phenomenon up there that's known as the Mohan or the Mohana, and then it gets passed down and reinterpreted by the Spanish as the saints, the souls of saints, then it's reinterpreted in modern day times as UFOs. So we've yeah. come from spirits to UFOs. If this is a case of 400 years of religious thinking and pop culture, leading to, to a bunch of wrong interpretations for climatology, I'd love to be on the front end of that. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love, this is, I'd, yeah. I'd love to be on the front end of that. And it's not seeking to be a skeptic or seeking to, for answers that it's UFOs. It's nothing to do with that. It's 
more than that, what it is is, I mean, you saw these people, you have to be gentle with them because all of the locals are 100% absolute believers. Remember the guy that was doing the gardens and did the security the last time, and I, I said to this local gardener, have you ever seen the lights in Waika? He said, which ones? And I was like, okay, Las Luces Danzantes. And he went, he said, the spirits or the ovnis, the UFOs? And I went, tell me about both. And he said, well, he goes, the spirits linger around the top and they're blue and pink. But he said, the UFOs are white and they go really fast from the mountain into the sky. And you're like, da, 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 I asked you if you'd ever seen the lights and now you're giving me two really well threaded, rich cultural traditions from the town of Tabio Valley. Amazing. One being the spirits of, of the, as you say, it's the, the Moisca people here from the Siskili Reserve who protect um, La Peña de Huayca. They say that when Jimenez Quesada arrived in 1537, that he... This is the guy that the, the conquistadors. Jimenez Quesada was the man who, he, the conquistador or the conquester of Colombia. Yeah. Cortez was in Mexico and Francisco Pizarro and his brothers were in Peru. He arrived in 1537 and raised the place to the ground with flames and horrid animals. And this and, is where this phenomena dates back to. Yeah. And I have to keep reiterating yeah. that because, you know, he chased think that... 400 of the last Kazakis, the local rulers, and they ran to the highest point in their environment, 14 miles from Bogota, Bacata, and and there the 400 of them leaped to their death, is what the mythology says. But I've got to tell you something interesting, Vinny. If you go to the brown mountain light phenomenon in the Appalachians, yeah, yeah. there exists also indigenous mythology about suicidal Native American Indians and their lingering lights. So it's not, it doesn't just exist here, these mythologies, but that makes it even more interesting because where you see or where people report to see anomalous lights, well, look at that. These are the way they're interpreted by the indigenous people. And I, we, you know what it's like. These guys love working with us, the indigenous um, community here. They had us working for them in season one. And they were We built incredible. a well. Incredible. <laughs> but listen, I think that's this is a good segue to kind of, for anybody that's interested in season one, it has been on Vimeo, you know, since July. But we have now, as of today, about what half an hour ago, we're now offering it with a with a discount. Mm -hmm. uh, so if anybody has still not seen it but is interested, um, you can go to the description below. You can find it with a discount code, a twenty five percent discount code, and go and check out season one. Episode one has also just been released on YouTube for the first time on the Phenomenology YouTube channel. So please, please go and check that out and go and subscribe to the channel. Um, but one one thing I'm going to do right now, which I don't do that often, is just going, just going to spend two minutes going through the live chat right here just to give everyone a shout out because it is the Christmas holidays and you're all spending time to can be I, here. So. Can I tell you something, remind you, just in case you've forgotten, I've got this thing, this presentation thing here. Yeah, dude, we, we're going to go through it all. We've got, there's no time limit on this. No, I just wondered if you had completely forgotten about it and you're trying to buffer for time. No, not at all. No. Okay, what I cool. Do... I'm going to do a job and let me, <laughs> let, me, let me get that out of here. Oh, Ash, you know, I love you so much, brother. This is the thing. Oh, man. And, this is what, and before I do this, thank you to everyone being here. Ash, like, we got to know each other so well. Mm -hmm. 
when we were out there that we literally we've spent so much time since we've been out to scotland together since we've done so much together we speak all the time um, oh friends we form this like you know it's not just you and me it's me you dan walter the whole team are still very much in contact it's um, because we're we don't mind telling each other to shut up you know yeah exactly and that's the beautiful thing up. about it uh -huh. listen i want to give a shout out to you guys so i'm going to go from this list here my very good friend lara paranormal pixie thank you for being here josh delista yorne love you to bits andre always here anybody that uh you know i don't shout out i'm just going through a small list but kurt m thank you for being here um my list has stopped scrolling what's going on lickety x splits or lickety splits you mentioned in a comment that you'd only just come here because you found us on chris leto's channel this week thank you so much and this is why everybody that's new is so welcome here thank you so much for being here jay allen uh you're always here asking great questions in my interviews fusey electron or fuse electron however you say it thank you so much for being here um i don't want to miss anybody out george hernandez good to see you jason fay my brother love you to bits man george hernandez thank you so much for being here guys i just want to shout out you guys because i know when i do these interviews that it's like starts interview into interview finishes and i don't give you guys maybe enough kind of shout outs or positivity or or you know i don't say thank you enough but it's christmas and i just wanted to say that you know i've been doing this for a year and a half now and you guys are the reason why i'm still doing this so um thank you so much guys thank you so much for being here and to everybody that listens after the fact you guys are just as important and anyone on the anomalous podcast you guys rock too uh gonna give one more shout out beardy weirdy thank you so much mr strafe wilson is here strafe wilson was with me and ash in scotland earlier in the year but yeah guys thank you so much and oh i see a mr walter payne in the chat is he there is he walter's in the chat walter was with us in this endeavor walter represents the team's hard-nosed skeptic and he's having none of it <laughs> walter needs to, oh, look, walter alien, <laughs> alien girl 111 thank you for being here avil stretch bachelor thank you so much for being here uh, Stretch says he found us from Chris's channel. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you. It really means a lot. Um, I think this is a good segue now to jump into. See, before we do this, because yeah, yeah, you, yeah. Met, you mentioned them two or three times, can I quickly tell you my about my Chris Leto story? <laughs> oh, <dude>. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you this. So a year ago, I woke up on the wrong side of the bed, right, and I put on YouTube and I saw this thing on. By the way, as well, I, my I, 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 my other brother. I'm sure he is. I have no interest in what relationship you have together because I'm going to tell you this story impartial as to how it was. I woke up and he had said something and I never, ever engage at all in social media debate. I, I sometimes feel like it, but I just, by rule, don't. But I broke my rule this day and I, I hammered in. And I was having a right old go at Chris in the most immature embarrassing worst version of myself and there i was and you know something happened i was kind of holding it together being mannerly when i was you know when you're telling someone you think they're an arse but you tell them look in my opinion and then in the utmost respect you're a twat it was like that and i didn't get a chance because essentially a pack like 
um, a pack of werewolf-like Chris Leto fans saw me off. I was like a wolf around the sheep. They saw me off, and I, I woke up the next day, and for the next three months, I was watching stuff that Chris Leto did. Now, listen to this. Do you know what I've got now? Look, I even have that written down. Look, my Chris Leto story. Because I felt so guilty in realizing he's actually a really nice person. Whether you agree, disagree, whether you're indifferent, he's he's a consistent fellow and there's not many out there. And I just felt awful. So Chris, shout outs. Sorry about being a twat. Well, this is the thing. Like Myself and Dan are ambassadors for UAP Society. I'm very good friends with Chris, just like I'm very good friends with you, you know. And uh, Chris is nothing but... 100% supportive of the work that we've done in Colombia yeah, and the work that, that we've got coming up. So that I think makes it worse. You, I think, no, no, I think what you <laughs> realized is that it was, um, I, I mean, I didn't see the conversation, but I'm sure you weren't a complete dick. I mean, there's I know you well enough. No, there's a high chance of wars because I have no, I have no guilt. Of course I have guilt. But this is one of the ones that every time you maybe see something or he's doing a new thing on Instagram and you see it, you go, you know, you get that draw, that wee anxious thing, and a bunch of them builds up to a nervous disorder. But I do, I get that draw breath when I think about being there. So I was probably a dick that day. You're just trying to soften wow, it, make friends. It's all good. I am trying to soften it, and it's all I'm good. just trying to be a realist in the, up with it, with the utmost respect to the truth and me being a dick that day rather than anything about Chris himself. That's what I thought yeah, I'd tell absolutely. you. Absolutely, and that's fine, and that's a but, cool story. So, so I didn't realize that you knew that each other. I've never seen him on your show. I must look back. Chris, I've had Chris has been a guest a couple of times on my show. I've been on his show a couple of times, but... Uh-huh. You know, it's an honor to be uh, invited by him earlier in the year to be a part of UAP Society, to be an ambassador uh, for his group and Dan as well. And it's great. But one thing that I think that I'll finish with this part of the conversation is that <laughs> that's the beauty of the UFO subjects is that we can have dis differences of opinion. And even though you might consider the fact that you acted like a dick, as you say, I'm sure yeah. it was just passionate differences of opinion i'm sure you're not a troll i know that can much. you just let it be that i was a dick and stop trying to soften it <laughs> you I'm, dick I'm, I'm not like that all the time it was an instant you know let's not judge me on the exception let's stick to the rule you know you see everyone that's listening and watching even the boss the big man of phenomenology oh sure is, is, is human he's human as well the big man of phenomenology who was who represents less than one percent at least minimum maximum of season one i deliberately just took up <laughs> i filmed it i filmed it and enjoyed watching all of you do dangerous things and i was in it i, I popped in a few times but i'm going to join the team we have other people filming it this season too so i'm going to be definitely in there with you to, in all of the places we go and all the things that we're trying to do there were so yeah. many times when we were interviewing people and maybe at the top of Mahoy or at the top of Waika, we were in dangerous places doing cool things. I I would I felt really, really down that I had a 35 kilo, 35 pound of camera equipment on my back and my old knees were breaking and I wasn't really able to, to but this year I'm gonna be springing like a deer with y'all up those mountains. Um I say, do you know what? I guess one one huge piece of respect that i have to throw your way is that there were certain things captured on camera of me because you know i like my wine oh yeah <laughs> Vinny has a, a go on go on no you, i'm gonna like... say it. we've we we've not we've <laughs> in the last year we've filmed more than once and on different projects and on each occasion 
Vinny starts, there's always a day where he goes, I'm not going to get pissed tonight. I'm just going to have a bottle of wine. And you're like, <laughs> he's going to get really pissed tonight and have three bottles of wine. And he, he never lets us down. But there's this funny thing that happens with Vinny because he's not one of those aggressive drunks. It's like the big teddy bear drunk. So what happens is I forget he's pissing it up. After two wines, he's like, you have never met anyone like him. He's like the father you always wish you had, right? And then, <laughs> no, and then you're like, oh, my God, I wish I was this kind of lit. And then you see him after four, and it's you're on the couch arguing with someone about all this. Remember the UFO argument with Gordo that you had last time we filmed? Dude, I love it, man. It was to me, it was great. This guy represents it. Was but this is the thing I put after a, a full day's work or a full <laughs> day's hiking up a mountain, and we're, we're you know, a couple of glasses of uh, I was gonna say Colombian wine, glasses. but it isn't because you don't get Colombian wine because it's all Chilean and, and stuff. You, like get, that. you get shot here because of the altitude, right? So you've got yeah. 30% less pulmonary metabolism. Ooh. Uh, yeah, so a beer or two beers, but what happens too is, as you know, you know full well, is the hangovers are unlivable. You're unbearable. You can't do the hangovers. You need to spend almost a whole day in bed, don't you, Vinny? You do. I, I had I had a moment, but listen, let's. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes you you might you sometimes you might have to stay in bed so long that we have to get a taxi to the to to, to the railway station with your jacket and bag. That you might just forget. Yeah. But that's Scotland. That's a whole different ball game. Scotland, Indeed. Columbia. Indeed. Let's move on to yeah. post season one. We spent the last few months, season one came out on weekly episodical releases. Mm -hmm. It was great. I really enjoyed it. I love the way you did it. I love the way that me and Dan and the rest of the team didn't know what to expect. I think that was really awesome. Ash spent months and months of his life, hours and hours, days, weeks, months, busting his butt to get this season <laughs> edited and out. This is all his work. And it I you know, from in my opinion, it was top notch. No, there's know. been it's only now it is Vinny because there was a a balls up in the process of um, transferring from the editors to the different platforms, Vimeo, then the different ones. So I would say it's only now that I would I can agree with you there in its entirety, what we have, because it, it does, it, it's beautiful. It looks the business now and yeah. it shows the entirety of what we did off just perfect. And I, what you know, did you see we got a really negative comment today? No, I didn't. I don't read comments most of, most of the time. No, I need to tell. I need to tell you oh, what this is. It's it's <laughs> no, it's not a bad one. It's it's a negative intro with a with a positive extra. The person watched episode four on Vimeo on demand, okay. and, and they said, "You just debunked the blue light phenomenon, but yet you didn't supply drone footage or Google Maps to show where you guys think that transformer was." He goes. You, that is a shallow way to end, and you had no right to debunk it. And do you know what I thought? You're absolutely right. Yep. Yep. Just as a side note. There you go. No, no. That, uh, but that's something we will learn from and take forward. You know, this was season one. This was new to everybody. 100%. And, and that's fine. But the one thing I will say is that we could have sold this to a production company and lost all creative control we could have put this out to 
a Netflix and a, oh, no, did. no Vinny, we, let, let there were conversations Jack. had where we could have sold this in early days, all walked away with a nice little tidy bit of money in our pocket and gone, hey, hey. but we I didn't because of the passion. Mm -hmm. So, no, you're saying that as if it, it you don't throw that away for at least a year before this. I was pitching this to producers in, in Los Angeles and I. I got really in thick after two or three months, and I, I don't know if you know that world, but I, there's um, a, a layer within production called development producers. And they come in and they are tasked with speaking to people like me who might have ideas for new shows that they can pitch to generally Discovery History or Nat Geo. And, and I was right in deep with this phenomenon. And guess what happened? Outcome, Skimwalker Ranch came out, the second or third episode of that, and it started to catch fire. And this is what happened, Vinny. That development producer came back and said, she started saying to me that if we pitched it as if it was Skinwalkers in Colombia, we're good. And I was like, yeah, if we did, I'm sure we're good. But <laughs> I have to no. live, live with this. Come on now. And... I could see it. Imagine Vinny and Dan running about with electrometers, you know, rubbing it past their phones and getting them going off. And I, I just couldn't do it. So we pulled back and I came out of a development contract. And then that's when I emailed you and said, you want to make a documentary, grassroots, and like just see how it goes and have fun doing it. And would you come to Columbia? And then you said yes. So then I went and told Mr. D. Zetterstrom and said, well, I've got a buy-in from Vinny. And I said to Dan is, do you have the balls enough to come to Columbia? <laughs> Knowing that I had you, I said, Vinny certainly does. And then within four I'm... days, he did his GoFundMe and he raised almost $2,000 to get him here. So that's how Dan got here. It's great. Yeah, absolutely, man. Mm -hmm. So anyway, what do you want to do now then? Well, I just, I'm going to make one statement and you don't have to chime in on this, but the only outsourced financial help that was made for this series was to get dan here dan with andy from that ufo podcast put out a post to their followers um of that ufo podcast to get dan out here they raised two thousand dollars that paid for dan's trip and, ev and yeah. everything there have been rumors and i'm only going to uh, literally spend a second touching upon this but there have been rumors that tens of thousands of dollars were raised and that that money was made uh, raised to pay towards the production of this uh, production for season one. That is not the case. All of the money came from Ashley's own pocket. <laughs> That's it's, it. And, and, so and we don't even have to go into that. I just wanted to put that out there because conversations have been had on the internet and social media and all that nonsense. And that's it. That's all I'm going to say about that. And you're, thing I'm going yeah, to say, no, but what you're saying is that I'm not allowed to comment on that. Yeah, but yeah, but dude, we could just talk about that for hours, and let's not give them the benefit of even you know highlighting the nonsense, if you know what I mean. I totally know what you mean, but yeah? I, I, I totally get you. I'm going to go. Go with on, you that. got thirty seconds. All right, good man. So <laughs> I was dying there. I was so I, I too watched all these things because what you're doing is you're watching UFO channels, thinking, oh, maybe I should send that guy a discount code because if he watched the documentary or, or maybe I'll give him the first three episodes. And all these people that I had listened to for the last two years and loved, all the different podcasters, the quirky ones, the straight ones, and I'd, and all of a sudden, a few of them started talking about phenomenology and started brandishing numbers about it. And I was just, you know what it does? You're looking at it thinking, 
the reviews are on something that doesn't exist. Sixteens and twenty thousand pounds. My good lord, I wish. I'd love that. My plan my wife and I's plan is we we do an archaeological kind of documentary every year and we fly people here and we don't tour, but we do adventures with people, six and eight people at a time, twice a year sometimes. And we just decided to do UFOs this year. And my good lord, apparently one's not allowed to try and make cash in this industry in this in this zone. So we hope to make money in the future on sales and Vimeo and the seasons, you know, that means that we break even with you guys coming on the production, which you're going to see the cost of. We're about to tell everybody what it is. We want people to come. But we hope to make a few dollars in selling Vimeo over the future if it keeps going, you know. Absolutely, man. But it's anyway. good, though, because let's get on. But yeah, there you go. We just we, we're an hour in, and one thing I wanted to say is I wanted to be sneaky and surprise you, and I invited <sighs> Mr. Walter Payne to join us, but oh, no. he couldn't. So I put that out there. But he he has got messaged me saying that he is streaming this to his family right now. Great stuff, <laughs> which is cool. Do you know what? I bet he's got a brother called Max. So well, uh, shout out Walter. Max, no, <laughs> Max. I'm just that was a, a reference to Max Payne, Walter, and your family. If you're watching this right now live, shout out to you. We love you, brother. We can't wait to hook up with you again in April 2023 for season two. Yeah, and but listen, let's get in to season 2022. Let's jump straight in to what you have planned for us, the team. I'm gonna share my screen and we're gonna get into the expedition itinerary or. Or I'm going to show we, my could, we could we could announce one of our new team members who has been here in this live chat the whole time. All right. No, I want to, what we're going to do is we're going to announce her at the end. Okay. All right. So I'm going to share my screen right now, and we're going to literally talk you guys through what we have planned for season two on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah, kind of day to day basis, loosely. Now, what are you sharing? You're sharing your screen. You're telling everybody. Yeah, I've got your website right. But, up I, in front but, of me. but, but I want to share my presentation here. Let's go with yours, dude. Come on, amateur Vinny, amateur. Look at you. I, <laughs> I thought, ah, oh, we're going to see him getting all there. He's going to get all into dude, it. I just worried. like to be. I just like to be prepared, so you know that I've got three monitors in front of me. And that's why. Anybody that notices has seen me going like left, right, and looking over. I have everything, everything set up around me. But dude, let's uh -huh. go for your screen, man. Do you know? Do you know? What I do it from time to time. I look to the right like that, and then I look over to the left, and then people think I've got three monitors. I've actually got like <laughs> a cup, cup of coffee, and a plant. You know, that'll be like that. Uh -huh. All good, yeah, man. Yeah. It works. It works, man. Don't don't <laughs> break don't break the uh, enigma. <laughs> <laughs> so go on, share your screen. I'll see it pop up, and I'll bring it up. Um, okay, two ticks. So if I minimize my StreamYard feed with you. Oh, no, I can't do that. I must uh, share go, bring screen StreamYard up. Go to the bottom. Click present. Present. Share screen. Here we go. All right. Um, I'm going to press that and share. Here we go. Can you see my screen? I can see it like an... Uh, yeah. There we go. Is this better? Full screen, it that that is absolutely perfect. Look at that, really good. Phenomenology S two, dude. You didn't even know, I didn't even know you'd done this. 
as you know, I always do that to you. Every week, I like to drop something else that I never told you anything about, like that. This Rendell, guy is the Rendlesham one. <laughs> Man, I, I never stop learning about you, mate. That was, that was funny. <laughs> if you don't ask, you don't get to know. Yeah. Right. So here we go. So Phenomenology Series 2 S2 team of UAP investigators. And of course, UAP for us stands for Unidentified Anomalous phenomenon of course thank you thank you for saying that has to doesn't it i've always yes been, i've struggled with this so much because if i'm in my garden at night with a telescope or a tripod with a camera and i see a light against Waika, i can't call that an unidentified aerial phenomenon because i don't know if that's in the air or in the ground or you know i, I so but this is wonderful anomalous yep let's do it Right, so here we go. I thought I'd do this for us, a series of wow. Right, so on the left, just if I'd put that in for fun, this is the Tenho Tabio UFO Monument. It was built 23, 25 years ago, as uh, just as I said, as a monument to the, the to the UFOs and UAP and the phenomenal phenomenological light phenomenon of the Tabio Valley. So that that was there. We're going to go film at that for fun. There's going to be three aspects to season two. We're going to be looking at mythology, phenomenology, and archaeology. Now I get to talk about my holy week. Imagine what it does to one's head when so many people locally and so many accounts talk about these luces danzantes or ranchitos luminados, Mohan, Mohana, El Encanto, the charm, the lights could be so many, and they talk about this occurring on Holy Friday. Now, Vinny, the problem with that being Holy Friday is a date appointed on the Gregorian calendar. It's not yeah. very new, several centuries old. So how would, why would a light phenomenon occur on a relatively modern Catholic holy day? I don't think it does. What's happening is the Catholic holiday, the Holy Friday, the Holy Week, is overlaying the change of the seasons from dry to wet. Right. the beginning of the first wet winter if you like so what we're going to be doing is we're going to be interviewing a mythologist a famous old man he's in his 80s now and he was the guy in the 60s who recorded the cheap chat of the moiska mythology that on holy friday two rocks at the top of white open to reveal the charm el encanto which are the lights and if you follow the charm on holy friday It'll lead you to buried <laughs> indigenous treasure. So the mythology is on Holy Friday and Holy Week, the mountain opens, reveals its lights, and they indicate the whereabouts of buried indigenous treasures. So we're going to explore. We're going to interview the guy who recorded those myths. Two of them he recorded, and he got it from Rices Moiskas. So these are modern day Moiskas from with traditional heritage, and we're going to explore that the mythology of the lights. But we're also going to be hitting the road and we're going to be going to the planetarium i don't want to tell you the itinerary just now but phenomenology as a standalone a theme throughout the series will be this edmund husserl in the late 19th century founded the philosophical scientific movement of phenomenology phenomenology was a response to cartesian sciences which defines the universe by objects how fast they move and how far away they are Phenomenology bases its scientific conclusions purely 
on the experience and the structures of consciousness of an observer. So by interviewing 50 observers to a, to a phenomenon, a phenomenologist would claim to be closer to the truth as to what that phenomenology, that phenomenon is than the scientist trying to approach the answers from tables and a Cartesian method. So phenomenology is always looking towards the experience of the person. So we're going to be looking, we're going to be interviewing geologists, we're going to be interviewing astronomers, but we're going to be interviewing them about their opinions on what these phenomena are, and we're going to get it from their, I call it a logical approach. I'd love to hear, rather than more ufologists that we interviewed last time, I want to hear about people that might bring a different phenomenological interpretation to the thing, whether we're barking up the right tree thinking it's to do with the change of the seasons or whether, because there's th this idea I have that it comes with the change of the season. That brings with it a change in temperature, so it could be something to do with temperatures. It brings about a change in high altitude lightning phenomenon. It brings about changes in the structure within the valley itself, so there could be all sorts of things that we're going to get from as I say, geologists, climatologists, we've got two interviews set up. So moving on from phenomenology, looking at actual what, what people see in scientific terms, archaeology. One of the principal reasons for everybody coming is we're going to be going, to, I'm going to show you, we're going to be going to some really iconic Colombian archaeological sites, and I'm going to be showing the story. We're going to be telling the story of the Moiscas, of the pre-Columbian rituals that were conducted at Lake Guatavita. Oof. I know it's incredible. I'm going to show you a picture of it. But the reason we're going there is because on our kind of the second last day of the expedition, I'm going to be taking everybody to, it's going to be the big one next year for me for a long time. We're going to an archaeological site that a friend of mine initially discovered with an indigenous um, guide. And I've been working there with him for the last three years, and we are going to now announce this to the world. You know, here we go. I'm going to come out with one of these classic cheeky hooks, and you're just going to have to sit in your arses and wait for the data. I'm not going to be putting any evidence out yet. I'm not going to be talking about what it is, but we're going to be filming an undisclosed, hitherto unknown archaeological site with some really, really interesting associations with the phenomenon in the valley with El Cerro Mahui the opposing mountain to Waika, the male, the home of the male Mohan blue light. So archaeological story being told throughout the whole thing. So it sounds really complicated, but when you see where we're going, it's going to become really clear. We're going to tell, we're going to begin with the mythology. We're going to get into the phenomenological aspects and we're going to end with the archaeological discoveries and conclusions. Let's go. So look, did you say thanks to, to, the, the who's the was it pixie yeah lara this is this was painted by lara and sent to us beautiful look at it with the three lights around the top absolutely so thank, stunning so thank you lara what i've done is i've shown this because for the first two nights when you're here the thursday holy thursday and holy friday we're going to be observing la pena de Waika. and this is on the right hand side and indeed the picture on the left this is the view or the aspect that we're going to have from our property. See that picture on the right there? The picture on the left is an interpretation of the lights, but 
on the picture in the right, this is one I took in 2021, Vinny, and <clears throat> it was suggested by a skeptic recently that, uh, not recently, years ago, that the perhaps the phenomenon that, that's witnessed on the top of YCAM is because people are standing deep in the valley and they're looking up at quite a gradient. And maybe what they're doing is seeing a star through the tree line, maybe Venus. So Venus was postulated as a potential light, a sort of contender for what people have been seeing. So what I did was look at this on the right there, that picture. I took that picture at night with that's Venus in the sky and look at the tip of Waika, Vinny. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's I recognize that. <laughs> uh, yes, you do. It's exactly what we saw. So that's the lights there. I thought that was lovely that you would thank Lara, and then we get to go and show a picture, oh, which is great. I so, have that oh, artwork. I have that original artwork that you see there on the you? left. I have it here in physical, and it's actually a prize for the charity raffle that we're doing with UAP Media UK. And I can tell you right now, it is a beautiful drawing, but in person, when you unfold it and see it in person, it is, it is so, so special. So... For everyone out there, can you take it with you? Take it with me where? Here. No, because it's a prize in our UAP Media Charity Raffle Christmas Raffle. Because it's that good, it's like one of the main prizes. I'll give you 20 quid for that. Get it out of the raffle. Nah, man, it's worth a hell of a lot more than 20 quid. I'll tell you that. Okay, I'll get a print. And we've got the original. <laughs> it's worth way more, man. So I'm one joking. lucky winner, and I'm not going to get sidetracked too much, but one lucky winner is going to uh, I hope win I'm that. Gonna, well, I'm going to enter it. Well, then do. Please do go to my Instagram and check out the post that I put out about that. But, you know, I want it. <laughs> All right, it's cool. Beautiful. It's beautiful. Anyway, moving on. So that's the, the interpretation on life, but there's the real thing on the right. This, there's an example of what we photograph here. As I say, you know what's really funny? Oh, no, let me know if you go into that. I wanted to show this. So we're in Tabio, you know. Here it is, Tabio. That on the left is there in the bottom is Tabio in the valley, at the entrance to the valley, and there's La Peña de Huayca. So it's easy to see why the residents of Tabio report these lights. Can you see my mouse, Vinny? Yes. All right, nice one. So let me show you here. Here are the thermals, the Tabio thermals, where the, the, the Ziba, or the ruler from Bagata, once every six months would come here, do homage to Waika, the goddess of the moon, on the top of La Peña de Waika, and he'd come down here. Now those, this, see this line here, this long line from the nipple on the top of Waika? If you go on to Google Maps and have a look at that, it's called the Ruta de los Ovnis, which is the UFO road. On Google Maps because the lights are seen here and the lights are seen here. Are you still there, Vinny? I am. I'm trying to deal with the chat at the same time. My apologies. No, it's just when you go quiet, I start getting nervous because I think uh, like just I've look made... at the screen. If you, my eyes, I've got my chat to my right and I've got another screen to. I'm so... looking at a whole screen presentation, so I'm out here lost in the ocean on like a canoe. <laughs> no, dude, you've got this presentation. It's absolutely incredible. Right. I'm just going to keep on showing. So, we're in Tabio. We've we've got the the Waika. It's um, right in front of us. But I want to take us along to play here. Look at this thing on the right. This is at the one of the parks that surrounds the thermals. There's these giant heads representing the gods and the goddesses of La Peña de Waika. There are apparently we filmed this in 219. There are 
19 giant carved god's heads on this mountain. So this modern cement version is <clears throat> an honour to the lost godheads of La Peña de Huayca. Imagine the mount had been so important that they would carve 19 giant stone heads on the mountain. Look, we are going to be on day three, leaving Tabio. We're going to begin in to Bogota. Bogota in itself, dude, is an absolute chaotic nightmare. It's like at a wheel, seven o'clock in the morning in Bogota, it's like four million 14-year-olds get on go-karts that can only go forward, that don't care what's behind or at the side. And we're gonna do this. We're gonna we're gonna go and we're gonna do Bogota. And not do Bogota. I hate people who say I did Scotland or I did Australia. You don't do countries, you visit them. So I take Bro, that I'm so ready to do Bogota. <laughs> oh, we'll go for wine at lunchtime. So the Museum of Gold is the largest collection of gold in the world. There's the, the museum owns 55 million, 55 million, 55,000 different artifacts, five and a half thousand of them didn't display in the museum itself. Now, the reason I want to go there is not only to furbish our story about the Moiscas and the indigenous culture in Colombia who gave these offerings of gold and silver to the gods and the goddesses, but the Gold Museum owns the Kimbaja aircraft, or otherwise known as told by ancient aliens as the, what do they call them? The Kimbaja artifacts. Essentially... Yeah, these have been featured in Ancient Aliens on yeah. an episode with you in it. I know, I forgot. I did that five or six, <laughs> five or six years ago. I know, because I'll tell you why. Because I'd always teetered around stuff like that, like interesting stuff. And then Ancient Aliens got in touch five or six years ago asking me about this thing. It's about the golden sun disc in Peru, and I went out. It was amazing, Vinny. I flew to Los Angeles, and I was there for a night, put up in a hotel, went along to this house the next day and filmed my interview and didn't talk about aliens or anything, but it was slotted into their show, telling their story. And then I, but I, had, I got quite a lot of shit after doing it from people that I quite respect myself, so I regret having done that, but, but you know what? Now I don't give a flying fuck, you know what I mean? It was great fun, and... Yeah. It was an insight, but yeah, Giorgio wears the, the, one of these artifacts around his neck. So here's what I want to do. Now, I'm not going to, this is going to sound, oh no, he's been a dick again, but listen to what I want to do. It's really, really, really inappropriate to say that these artifacts are ancient aircraft or flying machines. And let me tell you why. I'm going to show you this at the museum. If you give me any one of these artifacts, okay, I can take a zoological book from Colombia, from Amazonian Colombia, and I can give you a catfish and a mosquito type, the head of one and the body of another, and it will match these things. I can give you the 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 flippers of a, of a of a swamp turtle with the head of a jaguar, and what these represent, Vinny, these flying ancient craft are parts of the shamanic transitional process between the shaman and his animal form. These are transitionary animals. And I want to tell that story to try and retain a modicum of respect for these incredible ancient artifacts, each one of them containing the story of thousands of years of indigenous tradition of worshipping the animals in nature that they're surrounded by. But I want to tell that story, but we're going to have a look at them and we'll, we'll, we can... 
have a play because in the Museum of Gold, you know, there's actually people that do guides and stuff that believe they are the ancient aliens and that they are the ancient flying crafts and machines. I get that. I get that. Of course, but either way, let me rant on about my skeptical crap. But well, let me just let me just quickly say, do you, like everything's interpreted differently when you look at things, isn't it? Like, and that's the beauty of where we all come from in different things, but. Can you see the screen with me and you at the bottom right now, Ash? I can see. Can you, can you see? I, no. So can you see from the side of me? There's like a white stripe of just nothingness. Hang on a minute. Let's try and minimize this a little bit. No, no. White. Oh, right. You can't, can you? No, I've got full screen. Wow. I can see a. But so that, just keep look. Look to my. Can you see where I'm pointing? Yeah. Can you see what all you can see there? But watch this. I'm going to do something magical right now. Go on. There you go. What can you see? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Zetterstrom comes in like a UFO. Came in like a wrecking ball. <laughs> Fast and unpredictable. <laughs> so please go back to your presentation, but I want to welcome uh, Phenomenology co-compatriot and our good friend, Mr. Dan Zetterstrom. Mr. Thank Dan, you. thank you so much for coming. Lovely to on, see Dan. you guys. It worked out really well, but please don't let me interrupt. Carry on. This was really interesting. <laughs> Hang on a second. You can, an hour, <laughs> an, yeah, I'll say it, an hour and twenty minutes into our in, our chat, you arrive and you, the first thing you say is sorry to interrupt. Oh, <laughs> uh, not having that you can just you can just say get on with it or i'm sorry to have interrupted again okay hey, yeah. i'm sorry hey, to ask, have interrupted ask. please carry on <laughs> yeah or get on with it right so yeah so listen enough of my shenanigans we're off to the gold museum and we're going to be filming all sorts of indigenous gold but look at this in the afternoon Whoa. afterwards we're off to the planetarium and we're going to film with an astronomer in the planetarium, a leading Colombian astronomer who is, he's, the, he's published a book about UFOs, but he's a leading skeptic. He has some really, really interesting interpretations of the phenomenology in the valley here, but also in classic and archetypal UFO cases from the last 50 years. He presents some really dynamic um, explanations. But I must say, the reason I want to film with this guy is because He's the most respectful skeptic you're ever going to meet. He talks about the eyewitness phenomenon, back the phenomenology of a sighting, the actual conscious experience of the interpreter person as being the key to understanding what things actually are. And he does large-scale assessments of different types of phenomenon, whether it was blue orb, yellow-tailed light, star pulsing. And, and so I want to go speak to him about what he thinks all these phenomenological eyewitness accounts in Colombia represent and we're going to do that at the planetarium can you imagine the troops in there filming in the planetarium it's cool I'm excited to see what the planetarium is like uh, uh, the, the planetarium in New York was one of my favourite places there so I, I'm a big lover of planetariums and just losing yourself in them I have to ask Ash, the planetarium on the left did they intentionally make it look like a UFO or what? <laughs> you are such a, I can't believe you said that so there's other ones from the side and it does absolutely look like a UFO and I was putting this picture up and I thought either I've got to say it or Vinny's going to say that I, I was going to say you. You know, crash retrieval so, so the story with this story is my question has to be to you before I can't answer you about it being designed to look like UFO. But let me ask you this: sure. Can you can you present me with a planetarium 
that does not look like a UFO. Mm, I guess because like the the structure kind of follows the form, right? Um, it does. With the bubble in the middle. But mm-hmm. I, the the reason it stood out to me is because when we visited the Moiska tribe in our exactly. first series, the temple that we were lucky enough to go in, um, the the shaman explained to me that uh, it was based on the shape of like the universe, and we spoke a little bit about how funny yeah. it was that the universe reflected the saucer kind of shape, and and it's a very present shape for them, you know. It, it's, it's fascinating how that works. The chimney gaga, their creator god, is at the point of the roof and then the hut. And this is why the phenomenon is called lit ranchitos, lit glowing huts, because the phenomenon are reported with angled roofs and then this straight side. And you're right, the moiska cosmoi or the hut, the temple, does represent that. And it, But, of course, this represents the... The story of creation from the point of creation to this manifestation on Earth itself. But as you said, turn it on its side and it looks like a modern day scientist's chart of the Big Bang. But that's Zetterstrom Paradolia. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. well, Walter's just commented saying that he's stoked about the uh, planetarium. Good man. I thought he would be. And, he, and I thought it would be nice to, for, because you guys did all the interviewing last time, I thought. Because Walter, he's got this 1,600-millimeter telescopic lens. He is a, a telescope guy. He is the astronomer. He builds lenses. Let's maybe have Walter interview the astronomer. What do you think? I think Walter needs to interview all of us on that aspect. Uh-huh. But <laughs> I want Walter to be the one asking the questions. That's what I do, too. I want him to come up with questions enough because this guy is happy to talk about phenomenon. He believes there are... UAP, he says safely, but he and but he's um, he's got some things to say about the, the the valley here that I think Walter's going to align with. I don't want to tell you everything that's in his book. He wrote the book in Spanish. It's called OVNIs, UFOs, published last year. Imagine, listen to this, the ex-director of the Bogota Planetarium coming forward last year and going, here's a book for you before I retire. What is it? UFOs. Everyone yeah, was like, man, that's what? Amazing because he was also the director of the Colombian Society for Scientific Advances, which brings them all into it too. And of course, they're not shy to talk about phenomenology, ufology and things out here at all. It's part of everyday life, as you both know. Yeah. Look, I'm going to get on to my next slide, okay? So we're going <laughs> to... We're going to... Gonna... says no. <laughs> <laughs> I say Yes. Yes, Walter, you can do it. Look, guys, Laguna Guatavita. Oh, I can't wait for this. This is my highlight so far. This is my highlight. No idea. And and Walter's been here filming with us six, no, total exaggeration, five years in a row. He's been here six times, twice one year. And he's not yet been to Lake Guadavita. So I can't wait for him to get our new drone up over Laguna Guadavita. Imagine our visuals filming this. And it's. And we're just going to have been at the Gold Museum in Bogota and found the most iconic archaeological discovery in Colombia's history, the, the Barca de Oro, the Golden Raft, which was discovered, which, which is emblematic for a ritual that was performed at Lake Guatavita. The ritual is known as the El Hombre del Dorado, which was misinterpreted as the city of El Dorado and it kind of seeded the whole quest for the lost city of gold. It began as a ritual at this lake where a ruler to be covered in powdered gold was floated out into this lagoon and a raft would jump into the water and when he surfaced all the 
local people, thousands of them, through their offerings of gold in. So on the right there, you can see Candil, my mate, the leader of the Sesquil community who guard Guatavita, and Josh Gates from Discoveries. What's that called? Expedition, Expedition Unknown. Unknown. So there's me rattling on to Josh there about the legend of El Dorado and how it's important we see it for what it is, which is a an ancient king-making ritual rather than a, a, this idea of a lost city of gold. So we're going to tell that story when we're there, but Candil is going to take us beyond where Josh and I filmed. We're going to be going to this ritualistic platform that overlooks Guatavita. And the reason we're going there is because... In episode three of season one, Dan, if you recall, Candil told us that their night watchmen see what they report as golden serpents in Lake Guatavita. We asked him if these were lights or serpents, and he said, all of these volcanic plugs, these lagoons, there's several of them, are connected by underwater tunnels, which they know as portals that the lights travel and emit and do funny things with these lagoons. So he's going to take us and show us where they see these night serpents. And we're going to stay there into the night. We're going to stay till about eight, nine at night. It's going to drop to eight degrees. And we're going to see if anything happens. Because remember, we're on this week where the climate changes. These lagoons are filling up. There's a huge amount of geothermal pressure in the Andes at that time. So a great time to do a bit of night watching at Guadavita and see what exactly those night watchmen are seeing. Walter asks, can we fish there, lake trout? I am not <laughs> I, I'm not going to answer it. I'm just going to say I'm not surprised you did. <laughs> just say, I've just commented saying alien trout, Walter. So let me tell you this, because we're on your channel. Let me tell you this. So 1993, a Venezuelan carpenter was on a week sabbatical to Lake Guadavita with the Candil in his community. He got up that night and he walked to the platform where we're going and he claims he saw two silver discs entering the Laguna and them themselves turning into golden serpents. So we should probably talk. He, he was, if you were to Google Lake Guadavita OVNIs, there's this famous story about twin UFOs. So that's another cool reason for going around. Wait, this is this is this is huge because that's two disc shaped UFOs entering the water. Uh -huh. you know, this, and is, this is everything that gonna... we've been talking about for the last couple of years in the UFO community. This is transmedium, USOs, UFOs, you know, Lake Guatavita. I saw the episode with Josh Gates and you know, we didn't talk go... about that. That was but I thought yeah, it's interesting man. because it, so that's that story I just told you about the two UFO yeah. discs and it's is kinda like what would that be like? That would be like um say the a case in America that's not quite Roswell, not quite Betty Barney Hill, not quite as iconic as the Tic Tac, but just like a kind of middle-of-the-road case, but it's been here for 30 years. I'll take it. I'll take it. Absolutely. And, I, you know, I'm all excited about what's what, what reflects in the lagoon from this platform that maybe perhaps doesn't reflect under other circumstances. Because, remember, the greatest ritual of the year is played when the moon that performs its zenith above the laguna when it's full and you look into the lagoon and you see the great big disc of chia the moon in the air so for That's someone so cool. to see a shining disc in guatavita i'll 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 give you your chance we'll go with it but there's several shining discs that we could consider prior to the one that came from alpha centuri wow 
So anyway, there we go. We're getting private access to Lake Guatavita. And I remember, I want you to all be totting this up because we're going to get to the price at the end when we're asking folk, all right? So this is all... Dude, I'll, be, I'll, be vlog I'll be vlogging this for like Instagram and stuff. So don't we? <laughs> Good man. So after Lake Guatavita, we don't... So this is us. This is all HQ-based for the first four days we've been to. Tabio Thermals. We're filming at night on Holy Friday. We're going to the planetarium. We're going to the Gold Museum. We're going to Lake Guadavita, and then we head north. We're going to be going about five hours drive north into the really, really hot part of Colombia. It's like a different climate altogether. It's essentially the desert. The reason I put the picture in the left is because that that is not a movie set. The town is in its traditional five hundred year old format. Villa de Leyva. Is one of the first colonial towns of Colombia. It's an absolute mind-blowing experience. Everything's 400 years old. All the plazas, all the rocks, all the horses, all the shops, all the people maintain the village, the traditions of it. But it's also the center of astronomy in Colombia because the skies are so clear and it's so high. What's exciting is on Holy Week, as you can see on the right, People come along with telescopes from all over Colombia and show them off like a lowrider rally. They show off their big telescopes. So we're going to go up there and we're going to interact with astronomers. Now, this is what's funny. We're going to go out. We're going to, we're going to be staying in this traditional place with eight bedrooms. We're going to go out that night, drink too much beer and wine. And the next day, <laughs> we're meeting this guy. And he is a very well-respected astronomer in the Astronomical Society of Colombia. But he's a bit of a thorn in the side because this guy in his observatory, a big square garage with a roof that opens up in the night, but it's completely emblazoned with green, fluffy aliens. He's a UFO alien maniac, if I can say such a word. So, And he's got big telescopes. So listen to this. The reason we're meeting him is because his friend, the guy we're interviewing at the planetarium, the astronomer at the planetarium, the ex-director of the planetarium, says that he's had three sightings of anomalous phenomenon, even though he's written a book called UFOs as a Skeptic. He said three on three occasions, I'm not going to bore you with his other two, but this is why we're in Vigitaleva. He was at the Colombian Astronomical Conference in 2021 last year in Vigitaleva, and they were outside for a cigarette, him and three astronomers, and they looked to the south in Vigia de Leva, and they saw an orange ball coming over the hill. And this man turned to his two colleagues and said, isn't it just a splendid coincidence that on our conference week, a meteor would come in? And they were aghast at it, but he said, rather than continuing its course over the opposing horizon, it stopped, it turned, it went back in its course. This is the ex-director of the planetarium telling us he saw that, and he he saw, but he cannot un explain what that is, and he saw two other. However, the reason we're here is because what he saw in a broader context is is a phenomenon in Vigitaleva. Note is very similar to what we got, what we have in Waika, and it's known as the Estrella Estrana, the strange star. For 200 years at least, above Vigia de Leva, people have reported an orange star in the sky that moves to the left, moves to the right, sinks up the sky, rises in altitude. So, again, it's, it's a wonderful thing. With 200 years of tradition, perhaps the ex-director of the planetarium saw it himself. He certainly had, tells that story. 
But I want to go and see if we, us lot on Holy Week in Vigileva can spot the strange star or whatever that might be. Imagine Absolutely. going off Absolutely. Hunt, hunting for the strange star. That's just a documentary series on its own, isn't it? The strange star. God, yeah, absolutely. Ash, I got a little uh, request of you as well. Like, again, something up your screen. Just go back to the way it was when you looked at that thing on the side, you know? Oh, wait a minute. I know what you're going to do here. <laughs> this is like that thing. This is your like. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> this, Ashley, Mr. Ashley Cow, would be a good time to introduce our. It's our newest, Introduce our newest member of the team. <laughs> Please, everybody, welcome the newest member of Phenomenology for season two, Elena. Elena, hey. how are you? Hello. Welcome. It's good to be a part of the team. Thank you. Great <laughs> stuff. It's good to be here with you all. Surprise. <laughs> you great. could not imagine. I was, of course I was going to surprise you, man. You know what I'm like. I didn't expect this at all. I thought I was going to switch off and switch on and it was going to be Walter. That's what I was <laughs> expecting. And I was about to say when you said the newest member of the team, I'm like, no, he's not. Oh, listen, Elena has been so vocal in the comments, and I just like was like I tweeted her going, "You've got to come on, like come on, come on." Elena, is all this making any more sense to you after this chat I've been having with Vinny? Are you any more looking forward to it? Oh, I don't think I could look forward to it anymore. I've got so many questions, especially that planetarium trip. We're gonna have, oh, yeah. we're gonna have so much fun. <laughs> so far, you know, Elena's been on the team, and this is her second time with us, and we've been talking. The things you've showed interest most in is which kind of aligns with Walter a lot, it's you jumped when I said there's maybe climatological, electrical phenomena going on in the valley, and you jumped when we talk about astronomy, more so than when we talk about the spirits of dead moiskas and the souls of saints. Well, listen, I'll, I'll tell you what right now. I've seen, every day I see Elena's posts on uh, right. and stuff. She posted something today about her books and she showed like some spines of some books and it was like Keel and all these amazing books. And I was just like, this girl is so far intellectually advanced from myself oh. that I cannot wait for her to be a part of the team and to just teach me. Well, that's what's so that's beautiful it. about what you're doing is the diversity of perspectives that you bring together and the compassionate intentions um, behind this this endeavor. So that's amazing for you it. to say. That's really amazing. But like we we formed a really good team in season one, but I feel like you've now added to the fact that we're gonna have an even like almost like a supercharged team team for season two. Yeah, supercharged team for season two. <laughs> Thank you. Vinny, Sorry, Ash. Ash I'm No, it's all about. Don't it's let all me about... interrupt, Ash. I'm so sorry. No, again, you're like that. <laughs> what do you mean? My yeah, fault. you did. It was me. I'll own this. I'll own this. <laughs> this is like a, a sketch from Airplane, isn't it? Everybody comes in and interrupts me. Go sorry for interrupting, Ash. If you were sorry for interrupting, you wouldn't be here. That's the truth. Yeah, dude, that's true. I'm not sorry, but I love you. We're good. proud to interrupt you, Ash. Please carry uh -huh. on. That, that, exactly. Let's keep things good, clear here. I, I, I don't know how to do my full screen thing again. I've, that vibe I've lost completely, that kind of focus. I love, I love live streaming. How would I do share? How would I go full screen? Dan, you know the stuff. You know uh, the I answers. think window along the top. Window. Yeah. 
Slide show, look at that. Um, window. Our next one. No. Oh, no. no, no or go just back to slide show, but don't play from current slide. No, not from the start. No, because I just <laughs> zoomed through it, Vinny. I'm not. Like, through, yeah. Okay, here we go. So, all right, I will pick back up then. I'm going to try to regain my mojo. <laughs> we were in Vija de Leva. I got this. We're in Vija de Leva, and we've just been at this guy's astronomical center, which, and he's a full on 100% believer in visitors from other planets. Whereas his buddy in the planetarium in Bogota isn't, but between the two of them, we're going to get some great stories about UAP and this strange star. So, Vinny, you'll love this place for obvious reasons. What? <laughs> <laughs> it, this is what, is, that a, is that a wine? Is that, does it give me wine? Is that I think it's a penis joke. It's a... Ah, <laughs> uh, I see. I see what you did there, man. <laughs> So yeah, so in, 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 I, I, so we'll 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 start with the picture on the left. Um, El Infernito is five miles from Vija de Leva. El Infernito is the oldest pre-Columbian standing stone Moisca site in the country. There's nothing older. It's a lunar chronometer. It's a lunisolar calendar. It's a predictor of seasonal climate change. El Nino y la Nina, the dry and wet phenomenal phenomenon that affects the whole of South America. And this these this matrix of stone alignments aligns with a hill known as Santa Barbara Hill. If we follow the alignment from this stone to Santa Barbara Hill, so the equinox alignment from El Infernito, it identifies the hill that the strange star is noted above leading to the question, how long has the strange star been observed in Colombia, whatever that strange star might be? Also from this site, in a hill beside the, the Santa Barbara Hill, on Holy Week, it's reported that there's a, a flickering blue and orange flame that appears to move along the hill. It appears to arc above the hill and then vanishes after about an hour. So we're going to be there on that week. And again, from El Infernito, we're going to have an early start there, but we're going to be telling the story of the Moiscas, of their astronomy, of their mythology, of their ritualization of the landscape, all the lagoons and the mountains, everything here had a male or a female denomination. And what's bizarre with that is the mountains and hills associated with red Mohanolites are associated with female goddess Chia, and the Mohan are associated with the male mountains. So... We're going to be telling that story from El Infernito. Because this site's related to the sky, the sky was generally in indigenous mythologies and, and um, cosmologies interpreted as, as a male entity. So you can see all the stones are phallic because it's a male site related to al alignments in the sky. Whereas if it was a, a site built for honour of the goddess of worship, of the goddess, fertility goddess Pachamama, it's going to be um, it's going to be yonic. You're going to see vaginal shaped stones and carvings. So we're going to be there exploring this whole thing, El Infernito, the Little Hell. And the Spanish, when they arrived here, they called it the Little Hell because they knew it was the heart of Moisca culture. So what was the god of the old religions? The positive god of the old religions simply became the devil of the new. And this site's known as Little Hell. That's why there's loads of standing stones in the UK known as devil stones. and So this is my, my, my favourite. The day after we're at Sogamosa, at El Infernito, we're going to the oldest 
temple in the country, the Temple of the Sun in Sogamoso. It's an enormous wooden sun temple that in when the Spanish arrived in the early 1350s, um, no, in the early 1700s, the early 1600s, 17th century, Pedro Cobo recorded that there were more priests in attendance at this temple than at Mecca. We're talking 16,000 solar priests in attendance to the Haizaki ruler of this temple. We're getting in to have a look, do a small ritual with the people that look after it. And we're going to do virtually what we did in episode three of season one. But again, we're learning the story of the Moiscas in one of the holiest cities in Colombia. It's going to be crazy up there. Silgamos is going to be, because we're going to be there in Holy Week, right? It's going to be alive. All the Marias are going to be out getting presented around the streets. All the carnival people will be out getting pissed up. It'll just be great fun. Silgamos in Holy Week. So after that, we're coming south. We're going to be stopping at a town called Turmiki. Turmiki is the home of the national sport of Colombia, which is known as Tejo. Tejo is when a player has a metallic disc and he throws it through the air against a platform of fireworks, gunpowder and paper. So we're going to be going to the home of Turmiki, and the reason why is the ex-director of the Geological Society of Latin America said this two years ago. So often in Turmiki did the indigenous Moiskis watch metallic discs flying through the air that they founded the game Turmiki in its honor, in which they throw metallic discs through the air to make a flash flight. We're going to tell the story of the Turmiki and the flying discs of the Turmiki Valley. And this is what's cool about this one. We're going to head home after that. And then the next day, we're going to play Tejo and drink booze. Is, is this like one of these pub sports where people get better as they, as they drink more? Or is it totally the opposite? If you, the way it works is so there is a circle of paper in triangles. And in that paper is, is our fireworks, gunpowder. So you throw your disc. And if you bat, if you hit and make a flame, everybody buys your beer. So if you play with four people, you've got three beers coming in. But no, no, not <laughs> just many. make sure they know how to spell V I N N I E. Yeah, but the way <laughs> you spelled V I N O wrong, Vinny. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take either, man. Yeah, this is the nothing can go wrong. You've got booze well, explosions. You know? <laughs> exactly. Or with a DJ in front, DJ disclosure. It's so Colombia. If you, if you knew, well, you do know Colombia. It's so representative of the country where their national sport and pastime is essentially throwing metallic shit, making a flash, and getting pissed. That sounds right in my street. Aye, me too. Hell yeah. So there we go. We're going to go and play some Tejo, and we're going to talk to these look. Oh, guys, can you see my? Can you see me or just my screen? Well, I can see the full screen, but you in the corner. Can the public see? Can I go back to my normal? I just want to show you what's happening with Waika behind me. The sun's setting, and it's oh, absolutely... right now. Yeah, I can oh, full can screen you, you now. Yeah, yeah. Full screen on. me and let me turn my screen around. Face and show you. Oh, 
Oh, thank goodness. I just about hung myself with my headphones. <laughs> what? Don't tell me the lights are happening. No, well, who knows? It's that time, but it, I want you to see the sky. It's biblical. Yeah, we can see the uh, the blue tarpaulin. Oh. <laughs> Not the mountain above it. I can see. Wow, well, there we go. We got the full mountain range. There's Wika. If anybody can see my mouth mouse cursor, there's the. Peak I need of Wika. to see what you can see. Oh no, there it is. There. Oh, damn it! I can't zoom in because it's my crappy computer. But that peak where my mouse cursor is is the can't be your mouse that. cursor. Like, I don't think you can't. Okay. No. So the pen of the wiker is the kind of nipple-shaped. Oh, sorry. Right there. The the, the the prominent nipple. Yeah, that that's la pena de wiker. That's the the mountain where we see the lights. That's that, where we went up and kind of sat on the front. That's and... where we walked up, but we're going to walk up it again. This, hang on, this road here, this angle is called the Ruta de los Ovnis, the UFO road. It's on Google Maps. So often, I'm going to leave it right there with that. Sorry, guys, I nice. didn't realize that anybody couldn't see my cursor, but yeah. Right, that's right. I love the passion, baby. Hey, it's, it's all I'm about, passion, baby. <laughs> <laughs> um, so look, we've been to El Infernito and we've been to the temple at Sogamoso and we've been playing Tenho and Beer. So look, I want to leave it with this. Can you see that? Yeah. Can the public see me or just my screen, Vinny? Uh, well, at the moment, you're like prominent in the screen and me, Dan and Elena are down the side in smaller. Uh, so can you, put on my, can you put on this last slide then? Can uh, I still... Hold on one second. Let me just do this. Yep. Your slide is prominent. Is it? Yep. This here has never been seen before. Nobody's this, ever I don't, seen I, this. Wait, I, I don't know about this. And Dan doesn't know about this. This is None nothing. Us... This is only this. This is like looking at the number on somebody's door. And, and that's what we're looking at here. So this is a pictogram that has never been seen before that we discovered. And this is the entrance and the to, to something absolutely spectacular that we're going to show in episode seven of season two. We're going to go and show you at this. As I say, it's never been publicized before. Nobody knows it's there. It's in, a, and it's in an indigenous reserve tucked away in a corner of Colombia that's seldom explored. And, and we're going to go for it. We're going to show you some exceptional and mind-bending archaeology. You know, any ideas what kind of animal that might be? We were guessing. What do you think? Um, I kind of see long jaws, if I'm the right way around, like crocodile, alligator, lizard, something like that. It's got quite a big sort of barrel body, like barrel body. It's got this defined mm. tail here. It's got two legs on this side. So is there any chance there that that could be a tusk and a mouth? A mammoth. Then it would have then it would have to be 12,000 years old, Vinny. Right. Which is an interesting date to land in. Some might think that I'm saying nothing more about it. I'm just showing you a pictogram. I don't know, I don't know what you want put, put a link up to Graham Hancock's new series, Vinny, just quick. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually a triceratops. Look, it's a dinosaur. <gasps> well, okay. Yeah, well, well, that makes more sense than a mammoth. 
definitely. No, you don't get Triceratops are like six hundred million years old, and mammoth were here. Forget, forget about the age. I'm looking at the picture, and I'm looking at my. You can't forget of... about the age. I am lucky enough to have a daughter that's five years old that is into dinosaurs. I read about Triceratops now, about the, three times he, a week. You can't give me an apple and say, and it's an orange, and then just say, just ignore the color ash. It's it's an apple. Well, give me a chance. Okay, give me a chance. Okay. So if that represents the Triceratops. And not all I was talking utter shake there. That was a laugh. <laughs> That wasn't the fact. That wasn't real. It's not a certainly not a triceratops. Behave yourself. Uh, younger, driest triceratops. They, so they we're looking now. at about twelve thousand years old, whatever it is. Yeah. Even if it is that, how many pictograms are dated to twelve thousand BC? What we're doing? We're going to get. I'm going to be distracted here because all it is is cheesy droppings, clues. All I'm saying is we're off to this amazing archaeological site. That's what I mean. Like we don't know, and I no, love you that. don't. I love. I love that. I love you... so much that we have something that is. When we get there, we'll know. It's like when Walter's just dropped a magic word here, LIDAR. And yes, we are going to scan these so we have 3D maps no, of we the, these places. Yep. Electromagnetic reading. I don't think we'll that. have LIDAR, though. No. Yeah. Vinny, I've got LIDAR on my phone. No, how but does, not... How deep do you go, though, bro? I've got a ghost hunter. You can see it. <laughs> what does that even mean? I love it, but how do you say it needs to be on a t-shirt? How deep do you go, though, bro? <laughs> You've just, I'll tell you what yeah, the, the episode the episode's going to be demonetized if you continue like this dude this was meant to be the Christmas episode where anything goes I don't care I don't care see Sarah, if, red, run, if, red, see, koala in the chat let's see if anything can go can I go to the toilet yes can. but you have to leave the stream you can't just go where you're sitting that's, that's frowned upon and I'll, and I'll <laughs> let, let, let Leslie Nielsen Zetterstrom. Yes, <laughs> you've got it. While Ash, while Ash is in the toilet, I want to speak to Elena and say, Elena, what are you excited about? Oh, you what go. am I excited about? I, I'm, I'm hoping we can camp up on Hoika, um, but you know, we'll, we'll see what the weather's like, right? Um, I have to say, I think Lake Guadavita is going to be incredible. Um, yeah. The, the, the ritual that's performed there at that time of year it's, it's so similar to other rituals that are performed um like baptismal rites um at holy sites that similar times of year and, and, and um where there's water flow um all of a sudden and um i love these resonant valleys uh where there's like this type of geological battery going on so there's so many connections um as you were saying i had like 10 books i'm reading um, about the <laughs> interconnectedness of the subject. There's, you know, the physics, yeah. consciousness, energy aspects, and then not to mention, you know, the um, potential OV and UAP um, having sentience. So, you know, it's it's a lot of research to do, and I'm glad to be a part of it. So Absolutely. Uh, and no, this is the great thing. We're so happy that you're part of the team and it's going to resonate with the audience when, uh, you know, you're filmed and talking about everything we're experiencing. But it's the private conversations as well that happen off camera that I think are just going to be so monumental as much as what we see, uh, Ashley, with the cameras in your face. You know, it's 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 a beautiful thing. And, I'll, and this is where I'll give credit to Ashley. Oh, he will throw a camera in your face, but still allow you to act natural. 
Uh, it's a beautiful thing. It really, really is. And I cannot stress that enough. Like f for two weeks, that was the thing. Like he, he, he just has a way of doing it and it works. And yeah, kudos to you, Ash. Just ask you to tell the truth and you feel safe doing that with me. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's oh, it. man, like like never before, man, like never before. But nothing I've experienced and since. And, you know, we've been in bigger productions since with yeah. DVD, BBC film production companies, early, you know, really this year. Like, yeah, well, you we were there with the Scotland and stuff. Indeed, indeed. No, that's but, good to hear. I'm delighted that you think that. That's how it's got to be. I, there's nothing worse than... You can have the most confident people in the world, but as soon as the camera's on them, they freeze, they change, they yeah, feel as yeah. if they have to sort of guard what they can say. And you always feel that there's there's lots of people that are quite, they're a pace behind. What that means is their mind's thinking about what they should really say because it's the truth. And then there's this secondary filter, and then they say what they think people want to hear. You, yeah. you lot were a pleasure in the sense that, well, well chosen, I should say, too, not because you are all communicate confidently and straight and you're not intimidated by a camera and the outcome is there's no nobody's made to be a fool nobody's made out i don't do anything dramatic i don't make people i don't make up false conflict that you can do i can make you all look as if you hate each other by just taking pieces of what you all say <laughs> but it, you, you i think you saw yourself you're all represented quite as you are and there was no funny business yeah absolutely. yeah you actually did really well with that and and it, i remember some moments thinking like oh god did i say that ashley is gonna he, he could make me look horrific but you chose really good parts and and you you understood my argument at times i think better than i did sometimes yeah. i have to i have to be straight though like don't don't just because you didn't look horrific don't for a second think that sometimes you were weren't horrific because you were <laughs> I, I just i just edited that out simple no, uh, listen, uh, I just want to bring this comment up. So Vorak in the comment says, "Any new guests in season two? Well, you know, yeah, we've just we've just introduced a new team member, Elena, but she's certainly not a guest. She is an integral part of the team. But one thing, well, one thing that I have been doing, which I guess the team doesn't necessarily know, is that I have been having conversations with people behind the scenes as far as advice." for work in south america and who has recently put out a documentary from south america james fox brazil oh, yeah. so that's right james has uh, gladly provided me with a video christmas video uh, which i put out on my socials so i'm in a little bit of back and forth with james so maybe he could help us in our investigations in colombia and so last time we had advice from sean cahill and lou elizondo which you know, would be great again. Lou and Sean are always welcome, always welcome to give us advice on what we're doing. But maybe this time James might be a little bit of a involved in some way or other. But yeah, you know, I know you guys want to see big names and that, but hang on a minute. You just got 20 quid from Red Panda Cola. How much of that do I get? No, no way. <laughs> this is all of it, Ash, right? That's... What's going on here? I didn't know this. Dude, Red Panda Koala, who I, I'm a huge fan of, almost like a fanboy. So I'm a fanboy of Red Panda Koala. Well, of course so you are. They give you 20 bucks. No, no, dude. Love Red Pandas, love his documentaries as well. And yeah, I, I've, been, I've been following Red, Red since like the early days of his work. And 
even when he did the work recently as well with um, Jesse Michaels, which was huge. And Red is like, Red is the kind of person that you want to be like when you speak because he's so cool, calm, and collected when he describes the phenomena. He's just mm. like natural for the camera. But he says here in the I, comment, I highly recommend his, um, his videos on the whole Tom DeLonge thing and the core kind of narrative there. He puts mm. it together really, really well. There's two episodes that are just so concise is, and yeah, so, the, so and, cool. And he's, he's done this before, and I, it, blows me, it blows me away. So Red, I'm going to read it out. Red says, great job on the episode, guys. The editing was super, super professional and sharp. Do you want me to read and, it? And in a beautiful <laughs> location with interesting phenomena history. Looking forward to the next one. Happy holidays. Dude, I nice. appreciate that. Like, damn, man. Honestly, that that shows that gives us credibility because um, I'm not saying anybody else in the chat that's seen this doesn't have credibility. But when you get that kind of nod, just that little nod, gives you and that little thing, bit of the, the, the nice. The nice thing there is the fellow has taken his time to choose words and write exactly what he likes about it. It's not just a generic. Yeah, I loved it. Yeah, it was great. No, the guy seen all of the things he thought was done well. So that's good on him. Good old Red Panda. Hey, Ash. What? Maybe you need maybe maybe a little uh, post editing uh, assistance with Red Panda Koala. Though. I would love it if anybody could help me at all with editing. I just so let's maybe ask Red Panda what he can bring to the to the gig. There you go. Thank you so much, Koalas, Red Panda Koala. Red pandas. Uh, we love you, man. There's another comment here. from him there. No, don't say that. Stop. You just think, <laughs> no, right. So yesterday I was I was being a dick yesterday because. Somebody on Twitter, Lex Fridman, posted, I love all you guys, and I just did it. And I'm going to tell you now to stop saying I love you guys because you sound like a Hollywood actor taking an Emmy and saying the most, you don't love us, but you really love like you, you really like us. Yeah, but Ash, that's oh. like saying brother on... on, on. <laughs> I, I, I asked you Finney. You know why I say that? You know why I say that. I, so, but Dad, I asked Finney this before... I never call people brother apart from my brother in real life. But when I'm on podcasts, I keep calling everybody right brother all the time. Why? <laughs> is, is it, it, is is it a nervous? Up? Is it a nervous thing maybe where I hear all the American confident one folk calling each other brother all the time? So I, I think it kind of happens then when you're in this setting, perhaps. Dude, did, did we yeah. form, form a bond in Colombia though? Oh, indeed, brother. <laughs> Brothership of the sun. There you go. You can call me sister. Okay. There was a temple that we weren't allowed in on, on the, the Moisca yeah. community. Uh, it was only for women. And we said to what was what was the question when we asked if Walter could go into it? What, what was the answer we got, Ash? Lydia shouted over and says, you're not allowed in here. It's for women only. It's the Temple of the Moon. And I said, I, I just thought in the politest way, it's a sacred area. So you can't use swear words, but there are almost swear words which you can use it and i said is it okay if walter gets access to the female's temple because he's got a mangina <laughs> and it just went silent you know but we dropped it into we dropped it into episode three because so funny yeah, yeah. i'll tell you now if elena is sister now she's going to be high priestess by the time we finish <laughs> high priestess <laughs> that's why yeah. you invited me someone's got to go in the moon temple i see there, there we go <laughs> see she's just figure this out know. guys uh, we have... mean, I feel... she's on, already sorry. like she's already one step ahead one step ahead of us so like i 
And this is what excites me so much. Like, Ash, what we'll what we need to decide now with this specific interview is do we need or do the people or the viewers or the listeners need to know anything else yep. before we before we finish? Because I could have this conversation with you, Dan and Elena, for the next two or okay. three hours. But let, <laughs> yeah, there's that there's you know, so we, a, one thing I will shout out is that we are going to move this to Instagram afterwards to do a, a special Christmas Instagram live. Right. So you just, but, want my, just want my general opinion on a few things that people might want to think about or just in general. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to. All right. So, so Vinny's general presenting style is pretty. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, let's, let's, um, yeah, it's as simple as this. If folk want to come to Colombia between. April 6th and April 16th, 2023, next year to join us four and Walter and the two Natalias and another two folk. We're going to be eight or nine strong. Go to UAP Columbia forward slash PS2, PlayStation 2 PS2, which is Phenomenology Season 2. You're just going to fill in your name, your email address, tell us why, what you think you can bring to the project. And I'm going to get back to you. I'm going to drop your email and we're going to have a chat. And We'll be putting your name into our list and in January we'll be pulling out the last two or three people that we want to come along and film with us and that's the way it's going to work. So let me tell you the cost. Let's not hide anything here. Oh, let me show you this, guys. Can I share my full screen again, Vinny? Of course you can, man. Nice. Look at this. You ready? Yep. So I better do my full screen. One tick. And what was it I did again? I. Oh, sorry, Elena. Sorry. Wait, hold <laughs> up. Wait, wait. Hold up. Hold up. <laughs> There you go. Where's my full screen again, Dan? Uh, command oh. Command F or slideshow. Command F. No. I know that'll just put the F full uh, the sorry, the app full screen. My bad. Uh, right, yeah, Dan, you got it. All right, here we go. So so once we get to the we've played our Tejo and Beer and their archaeological site. There we go. If people can ask, I thought we should leave this at least for a few minutes on the screen, Vinny, because it shows exactly what folk are going to get when they come. I'll run through it quickly. First and foremost, they're going to feature in season two of our Phenomenology documentary series. They're going to be collected by a private driver from Bogota, El Dorado Airport. They're going to be driven two hours into the hills to HQ, and we're going to welcome them in front of a coal fire, as you know happens. Oh, yeah. And they're going to stay for nine nights accommodation, right? So nine nights accommodation, that's three nights HQ, five nights on the road around Colombia, and then three more nights at HQ. Um, it, your, all of the meals are included. It's all traditional Colombian food. We're not eating much pizza. We're not eating many pizzas, certainly one for Vinny every time. Hey. All, all of the, the, the entries to the museums, the transport when we're traveling around Colombia, the interviewing with indigenous communities and the payments we make to them, it's all included in curing including security guards and these guides, Julio and his brothers, Julio and his four brothers. And then we're going to get you back to the airport for your homeward flight. Whole thing, two and a half, two five, two five, two five thousand, two thousand five hundred dollars That's it. Whole, all included to get you here. And that's everything for the week. So as you said at the start, you're five or $6,000 for a week in Colombia. We're doing this whole sort of 10-day trip here for two and a half thousand dollars so that's us. We're, we're, our cards are on the table. We're looking for two more people. And um, I just can't wait to see who applies as a result of this. If anybody's stayed this long, they're, they're certainly keen, right? 
they're not only keen, but they're ready to experience a, a life-changing experience. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm just trying to. I'm still. I still try and visualize the fact that from the moment I uh, left Northern England in Sheffield on, on a coach to go down to Birmingham to meet Dan to stay in a hotel to fly out to you know the whole adventure from start to finish was like something that you would expect to see in this day and age on a YouTube channel for the biggest vloggers. And I say that from an aspect of modern um, entertainment, let's say. It's not like... Um, so I've always been big on uh, YouTube and stuff like that. Not not me personally, but I've always been big on watching YouTube and watching the tr the the period of getting from A to B is almost as important from B to C, the big project. You know what I mean? Uh, so that whole aspect of what me and Dan did was like, well, it was the biggest adventure of my life. Yeah. You know? And we yeah. had, had a serious laugh along the way. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, who gets to travel half the way around the world to a country they never thought they would ever visit to then, then, not just reside in that country, but then go on and do bigger and better things within that country. I mean, it beggars belief that I could go on about it for hours and we've already been two plus hours here, but yeah, it's serious. I mean, Dan, let's give your perspective because I know you'll be better at uh, describing what I'm trying to say. It was just, there was a lot of fun kind of, because I remember coming up to Birmingham, I met you and you kind of, had a little gathering of some some people to watch your channel um and that was the first place i met max mccabe and a few other people who've since become friends and then yeah we we flew to columbia and that was a lot of fun um you know haggling with the air hostesses to get kind of <laughs> be able to stretch our legs out on the seats and sleep along the way and stuff like that i remember ending up in the back kind of fixing some macbooks and things like that for them um and then yeah we arrived there we were collected from the airport. Everything was super easy. And it was just, it was amazing feeling safe because you've got Ashley, you've got uh, both Natties who were referred to collectively as the Illuminati. And they, they just looked after everything for us. And we could really just relax, you know, um, and, and just experience it properly. And then as we went and kind of about our days, it was just, it was so enjoyable and it just included experiences that money can't buy, really, mm -hmm. I would say. Uh, the, the, the connections that Ash had, the, the package they put together was just, I was going to say once in a lifetime, but twice in a lifetime, I guess now. <laughs> yeah. uh, but it, it really was outstanding. I'd agree with the connections of Ash has got here, the, the, the Julio and his brothers and all the drivers and everybody. We were safe. Well, you know, let's be really adult about this. Colombia isn't one of the safest countries in the world, is it? But when you look no. at that reality straight on and take all the precautions, you know, we managed to course through it and we didn't meet any of the nasties that a struggling country can sometimes have. So that's the quality of our contacts is the, is the safety that you experience when you're here. That's a fact. Absolutely, man. Well, guys, nice. can I tell you, no, before your old guy stuff. <laughs> now Ashley's interrupting. <laughs> I, I love it. I love bro. Do you know what? I love this so much, man. This is what this is what I wanted from this uh discussion. Like the fact that we're showing that we're all friends and 
you know, as much as we do the serious work, we can have a laugh as well, man. Asti has given me something in my lifetime that I never thought would happen. And so I love him to bits. He's a brother, man. So Asti, go for it. You've got 30 seconds. <laughs> No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Forgot what I was going to say because you spoke again. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say what's nice and doing what we're doing is we're, it's there's lots of landscapes and scenery and stuff in the film, and it's so nice to be making a film or films in Colombia that have nothing to do with Pablo Escobar. You know what I mean? It's like. Coming to Scotland and making a film that's got nothing to do with Robert the Bruce, or going to Germany and doing nothing to do with Hitler. He's this archetypal figure in the, the thing, and it's so nice to dissolve that side of the history of Colombia and to be putting out something about Colombia that's positive and, and new, rather than looking back to the dark days, which is so archetypal of filmmakers here. Yeah, that's a thing. Absolutely. absolutely. That is a thing. We are doing that, but with that gets recognised here. You're even yeah, absolutely. looking into the history of the culture before um, that happened. So you're bringing history to new light, which is even more beautiful. I'm really glad to be a part of that. Yeah, nice one. I'm sure you're going to love it. I really have no doubts at all. And once January comes, we'll be having this, but there'll be another three or four people will be on the meeting that will be in the team. So it's quite funny because we're like the folks that were at the kit in the kitchen at the party first and before everybody got back from the club, right? So we've got the wee thing going, yeah. and then before we know it, the, the, things are going to swell. Yeah, absolutely. Can, man. can I just, before we start wrapping, can I just ask Elena about this cat picture behind her on the wall? Because it has hands, am <laughs> I correct? <laughs> That's incredible. Wow. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, oh, yeah. No, no. I've been no. in my life for a long time. I, I feel like it really oh, yeah? up my personality. So, you know. <laughs> I, I would imagine a Jungian psychologist would have a heady with that. Oh yeah, complex, very complex. Uh, that's language. another day. That's another conversation. I'm Cat sorry. Oh, Vinny's moving for a close. Let's 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 get on. I'm, I'm going <laughs> for a close. We can we can do we can do the Instagram live on this all day and night. But like, no, 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 no. We can do it. You can. I'm conscious of my my audience. Like so, guys. Indeed. Thank you so much, Ashley. Yeah, tell me, dude. Every time you come on, like every time you come on, man. One year down the line, you kill it, man uh you always make it more exciting for me because you know me i'm excited no matter what and mm -hmm. i'm sure you're going to capture so much b-roll of me it's unreal what you're actually saying and i know what you mean i know what you and it is this love having you on ash because you talk so long that i can just sit back and let it roll no no no, no, no i know that you... i know that it's nothing for you to talk about did here. you hear what i said though you're going to have so much B-roll for season uh -huh. two. <laughs> oh, yeah. And the audio's all quite good, isn't it? Dude, the audio's incredible. Great. I mean, we let... Yeah, no. I, I've got, I, could, I could keep talking. This is the thing. I could keep talking. This was the conversation that I wanted to have before Christmas because I knew it would be between friends. It would be the most casual conversation I've had all year. But it probably would be the most important conversation that I would have all year because it pushes me and Dan, Ashley, Elena, and all of our team into 2023 for some of the most important work that we're going to be doing. And so... I love the fact that we can go from casual to serious and have a good time about it. <laughs> when so, was the serious bit? 
Hey, you, when was the, the serious the, bit? The catfish discussion. That was the serious. No, no, the fact, the fact <laughs> that I had, I had all, I had all the screens ready to share. But Ashley, Ashley put together a fucking presentation. There man. was a slideshow. Like, that was that's my serious. boy. That's my slideshow boy. Slideshow was Ash, good. Look, yeah, like, he killed it, Ash. Man, kudos <laughs> to you, brother. Drop the mic, Ash. Let's take this to a more casual uh, place on Instagram in like 10, 15 minutes. I and love and the guys. sun is setting just so behind much. Ashley there as well. Can you see it? Night operations are starting yeah. soon. Look at that. There's there's like a right there, ready for going. Dude, this is the thing, man. Ashley's there day in, day out. Look at this. He is... Dude. <laughs> is he going to streak? Don't streak. <laughs> My beast Dude. is ready to go. Tradition. Yes. The dude's, the, the dude's built a UAP lodge on site. I have. We built this two-bedroom non-suite center with glass window overlooking Waikat and space. If you up want top to there talk about, if you want boxes. to talk about dedication to the cause, oh, yeah. Right. Wait. Have you just have you just put a filter on your? No, Vinny. This is what I'm saying. That the sunset is incredible. This is what we're filming. Look at it. Let me open well, I the mean, door. I've, I've I've been there. I've I, I kind of want to just like... show you guys Mexico, just just in case. So we've got it's not Mexico as nice, here. But, you know. Mexico here. We've got Colombia down here. Elena, what's the thing you Very dark. Hang on. I can't hear a thing you're saying. You look like a mime. But we, we're we're pretty global right now. Yeah, we are. Oh, man. Cross-cultural perspective. I love it. Oh, yeah, that is a cross-cultural perspective. Everyone everyone in the chat's feeling good right now. Red Panda Koala says feeling good about 2023. Uh, everyone in the chat, thank you so much. We are going to jump over to Instagram Live. So go and follow me on Instagram, Disclosure Team. We're going to jump over thing. live. I've got one more and... thing. Go on. <laughs> can you not wait? Can you not you save us my... in the... No. the Instagram Live? Well, obviously I can't, or I wouldn't have interrupted. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry for interrupting. <laughs> this better be good, bitch. I wanted to personally thank everybody who's spent dollars and bought the season on Vimeo Season 1. This is going to be published in the VOD, Vimeo On Demand, and it means that people might there see this. So thanks a lot, everybody who bought Season 1. It was great. And we'll be sending you an email sometime towards the spring that'll have a discount for you to watch season two from the team. So that wow. was it. Thank you directly I, I to should, people. Can I ask you, Ashley, someone someone asked me yesterday, and it would be good for you to answer here. They said, instead of renting it, am I going to be able to buy this eventually? Because I'd like a copy. Um, no. No? Oh, cool. Wait, check, cool check, <laughs> wait I'll, and I'll, I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to close out my own show right now to say, for everybody interested who hasn't seen Phenomenology Season 1, oh, sorry, check out one more the thing. description below. We are now offering 25% off the whole Season 1. Go and check it out. It's... It's, shit. <laughs> it's really good. Um, and now Ashley's just blowing us away with these, these nighttime scapes. Oh, wow, you're gonna be like this is where you're gonna be sleeping where I am filming right now at so at night you know you're what? lining your you bed looking Mate, at that. I, do you know what? I One love bed. all of you. I love all of you. I have got the ultimate finisher for this conversation, <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm gonna say it in three. I love how you are, dude. Dude, One more thing. DJ disclosure in the house. Three, two, one, boom. Oh, <laughs> no way. Well, guys. 
Walter of Nebraska. Uh, I'm with my sister and her family here in Houston, <laughs> listening off and on with you guys. Great to see you all. Hey, nice one, dude. It's great to see you all, Walter. This is Walter Payne, the uh, another phenomenologist, as you know from the series. How a surprise. This is like Christmas Day. Hey. <laughs> guys, this is good. From what I hear, this is going to be a great time. I've been in and out of chat. and Yeah. Ashley, dude, you know I say something like this every time, but you have done a great job in getting us access to a lot of these sites, and I can't tell you how much how humbled I am just to gain access to some of these uh, native people's sites. Yeah. One, hey, there is one question I wanted to ask. Is there going to be an opportunity to do another ceremony like mm -hmm. you did before? We're doing it. We're going to do it in the Sogomoso Temple of the Sun up north. And if not, we're going to be with Candil at Guatavita. So, um, they, they do these ceremonies open air as well, so they'll probably do something on the banks of Guadavita, a ceremony with the tobacco ritual, and yeah. You, lo you like the old ritual ceremonies, don't you? It's like another world, isn't it, Walter? Oh, it's another world. It's another world. Uh-huh. This is go, what, guys. Yeah, there you go. I can't believe you pulled Walter in there. Yeah, he, what I mix? didn't expect that. I didn't expect that, Walter. Thank you so much. You bet, we guys. love you, brother. Hey, brother, can I ask you something? Are you, are you at home? Are you in Nebraska? I'm in Houston, actually, Houston, Texas, visiting my sister and her family for Christmas. Yep, I'm here for okay. a week. Superb. Oh, well, that's great to see you. Thanks for jumping on, Walter. Delighted with that. You guys take care. Hey, Vinny, keep it real, man. Everybody else, take care. We'll talk later. Speak to you soon. We will. We will. Yeah. Guys, thank you so much. Cheers, Huge Walter. Thank you to Ashley Cowie and all the team. Thank you so much. We're going to jump over to Instagram right now if you're live. And uh, we'll see you on the flip side. Take care. Peace. Happy Christmas. Or just go away in Scotland. Yeah. <laughs>